Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, folks? It's Rich. It's My Take Radio, episode 62 for Thursday, October 14th, 2010. The intro music you just heard was Street Fighter II, Frets of Fury. The artist was Vertex Guy, and you can download that and any of the other music used in previous broadcasts at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The caller number is 347 324 3541. Again, that number is 347-324-3541. Of course, this is our first show post-Comic-Con. It was a, uh, a an interesting experience covering Comic-Con as a member of the press. It was a very enjoyable experience, very painful and arduous process, but overall very enjoyable for the show. There was a lot that was done. Um, a lot of contacts were made. You're going to be seeing a lot of really cool stuff happening with My Take Radio in the coming weeks. But um, needless to say, overall, pleasant experience. I, I met some really great people. We got to beta test the Connect. Um, also got to see the Captain America First Avenger game, which I will discuss later on in the broadcast. Um, played a little Marvel vs. Capcom 3, which are, is going to be uploaded to the YouTube channel very soon, and of course, lots of swag, got to meet Todd McFarlane, which was fucking awesome, he was there with Kurt Schilling, who's a complete douche cape, and um, sorry, it's the truth, and overall, really awesome time, I definitely would like to do it again next year for sure. One thing I have to tell you though, First time there, we were a little, I would say I personally was a little overprepared. I had like three notepads and an audio recorder and blah, 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 blah. You, you know, it's first time, so you want to make sure that you're prepped for everything. As the uh, weekend wore on, I realized by Saturday that all I really needed was a camera and a shitload of business cards. So with that, we ended up um, actually... Uh, you know what? Slick just brought to my attention, and I totally fucked that up. The intro is the omen of Geneva, and the artist is Neko Frog One, not Street Fighter Two: Frets of Fury. I apologize to the OC Remix crew, and uh, definitely props to Slick for bringing that to my attention. Little rusty, a little rusty. My apologies. Nonetheless, to give the proper artist credit, it was Neko Frog One, N E K O Frog, the number one, and the track was the omen of Geneva. You can get that at ocremix.org. At least that part of the fucking intro was right. Uh, my apologies for the fuck-up, folks. Slick, good catch on that. Anyway, back to uh, what I was saying about Comic-Con. Way too much stuff that I ended up taking that I didn't need. Some stuff, of course, wasn't even essential. A camera was key. Slick had video camera for video, of course. 
Tons of pictures were taken. You can check some of the pictures out on the My Take Radio Facebook fan page, and you can put your comments there. For those of you that I know on a personal level, you can check my personal Facebook page. There are photos there. Slick also has photos in his album, as does my fiancé as well. So for those of you that know the MTR staff personally, you guys can check our albums for the Comic-Con photos. Nonetheless, definitely want to take a moment and give a shout-out to Ant, who traveled all the way from Philly. He's actually in the chat, in the chat room. Um, he traveled all the way down from Philly to do some press work for MTR with Slick on Sunday. Um, I was not able to go. The two days of walking made my ankle swell up like a fucking balloon. By the time Saturday ended, I was a hobbling mess. But nonetheless, I definitely got to congratulate those guys on a uh, fantastic job. You can check out the interview that Slick did at um, on Sunday. It's on the YouTube channel. Just look for youtube.com slash mytakeradiotv. Again, youtube.com slash mytakeradiotv. And overall, like I said, great Comic-Con experience. If you've never gone to one, even if you're not a comic fan and you're just a hardcore gamer or even an anime fan, I tell you, you've got to experience it at least once. Just so many people in costumes, so many people passionate about, about comics and games. There, there were people walking around there. There was a guy in a wheelchair that actually did a Professor X cosplay. It, it was insane. It was insane. He actually turned his wheelchair into the Professor X wheelchair, and he had the bald dome and the suit and the turtleneck. Fantastic. Some of the, some of the costumes we saw were really good, but i got to keep it real. There were a lot of people wearing some really fucked up stuff. Just, look, I'm all about accuracy. I'm not a tall guy, so I'm not going to go and dress up like Spider-Man or any of that shit. I like accuracy. I like stuff to at least be close to what people are dressed as. If you're dressed as Deadpool and your costume is in black and white and it's never been seen in a comic book, that's a fucking problem. If you are Dark Phoenix and you're black, I understand you like the Phoenix costume and you're fat on top of it, that is a fucking problem. I don't mind if you're dressed as Phoenix and you're Hispanic, black, Indian, Chinese. Race isn't a factor in that. But if you're fat, it doesn't help. Wonder Woman, ladies, if you're going to cosplay Wonder Woman, please, please make sure to shave your underarms. Please. I saw a lot of Wonder Woman bush babies at the Comic-Con. Saw that. Please, if you're going to wear any costumes with see-through double-sided tape, is your friend. I understand that, we're, that there are many nerds there, but there are also many nerds that will gladly look down your shirt and scope out your boobs if your costume is poorly planned. Word to the wise, make sure you do that shit. A lot of that. Tights, leggings, wear proper underwear, please. Camel toes. Way too many. Way too many. If you're going to dress up as Psylocke or any scantily clad heroine or anime character, please, 60 days in the gym at minimum. If your thighs look like a wet bag of flour stomped with a pair of cleats, choose your fucking costumes 
wisely. That, that's it. And, and, I, and I love all, the, all the, the nice people that were there. It was fantastic. But just the cosplay, I love that people are so down and so into their stuff. But please, take a little time. Put some work in. That way your shit doesn't look fucked up and you won't end up in somebody's gag reel. Fat guys, don't dress up as Spider-Man. Lycra is not good for you. Second thing, wear a cup. Wear a fucking cup. Too many Spider-Mans dancing around Comic-Con wanting to take photos with you and they had the dangly yam bag. Don't do it. A cup goes a long way. Too much Naruto. I know it's popular. Way too much of it. I don't care because a lot of the costumes were cool, but it was just like, holy shit, there's a thousand other anime cartoons on the fucking air. Everyone has to dress as Naruto. <sighs> I got to tell you, though, there is a photo on, I believe, my album as well as Slick's album of a guy dressed up as Carnage that built his costumes from scratch. It was fantastic. A little hokey by some standards, but for me, it was really kick-ass. There was a guy that was Tobey Maguire Spider-Man that really looked like Tobey Maguire. He had a movie-quality costume on. Fantastic. Again, I saw a lot of really great Deadpool cosplayers. I saw, um, actually, a Deadpool Corpse cosplay, which was on the Marvel.com Facebook fan page, which if I would have seen, I would have taken a picture of that immediately. Um, the guy who dresses up as Blade at every Comic-Con, kick-ass job, start to finish from him. Uh, there were some ladies dressed up as Cammy and Chun-Li at the IGN booth. Again, very well done. But please, please, I cannot stress this enough. Cosplayers, research your shit. I am five foot six, and I'm about 230 pounds. I am the biggest little guy you've probably ever seen. And there is no logistical reason why I would decide to dress up as Cyclops. Number one, it's not me. It's not something I would do. And number two, it's just physically stupid looking. That's all I, I ask. Just take a few minutes, and when you're thinking about your costume for next year or for San Diego or Dragon Con, or whatever the fuck you want to get dressed up as, please apply some rational thinking to your costume. If you're a chunky monkey, ladies, ixnay on the Wonder Woman costumes. Don't do it. Don't. Dress as a fucking hobbit. Wear a muumuu, please. For self-esteem's sake and for my eyes, please choose your costumes wisely. I think for next year's Comic-Con, I'm just going to go as Sackboy from Little Big Planet. I mean, I'm brown, I'm short. I just got to throw a burlap sack on me and have a big fucking smiley face and button eyes. I think it'll work. But, but seriously, Comic-Con, fantastic time, really great. There's going to be some really awesome opportunities for my take radio in the future. I'm going to get into that in further broadcast down the road. Again, you're going to be seeing more videos on the YouTube channel. Just, just a kick-ass time from start to finish. I really enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I was a hobbling mess, but it was, it was fucking well worth it. Bronx was also there. He's not in the chat, but um, 
Bronx is one of our staff members as well. He was there the entire weekend. He's a fucking soldier. Um, definitely, I got to throw some props to him for um, getting me to meet Greg Horn, who's a really kick-ass artist. I got a really great um, picture that he drew of Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat. Fantastic. Got to meet Jerry the King Lawler, who is a cool-ass, down-to-earth dude. His drawing talent doesn't get the merit it deserves, but if you get a chance, look up some of Jerry Lawler's artwork. Really cool. I enjoyed that as well. Plus, he was just a, a nice guy. Got to see Bruce Campbell. His line, incredibly long, practically went down to the lower level of the show floor. I was bummed. I wanted to meet him and, you know, talk a little Evil Dead, talk some burn notice. I'll tell you what, though. He has some really snazzy fucking patent leather shoes on and a red blazer. Stylish motherfucker. Telling you that right now. Bruce Campbell is a pimp. Um, got to see Stan Lee briefly in an escalator escorted by three very big dudes who could probably smash me in a heartbeat. Um, he came down with the rest of the people that were at Comic-Con. Nobody even batted an eyelash. I don't know if it was because they were threatened with imminent death, but um, really cool seeing Stan Lee. I was bummed I couldn't meet him. Bronx actually got him to autograph a book, and Bronx also got to meet John Romita, senior and junior. So overall, great weekend for the My Take Radio crew at Comic-Con. And again, you're going to be seeing videos. Head over to the YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com slash TV, and share your comments and, of course, give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down if you don't like what we have to offer. The Connect video, I'm going to talk about that later on in the video game segment, but definitely the Connect got my attention. I'm going to tell you that right now. The Connect definitely succeeded in making me question if I was going to drop $149. You can check out that post on mytakeradio.com, and like I said, the videos are on the, in the post and in the YouTube channel. A couple of changes, of course, on the housekeeping front. The ads that are currently on the fan page, they will be altered in a way and going away. Um, in the future, I think I will start selling some ad space on mytakeradio.com. I'm letting you guys know in advance. It's definitely going to be um, for companies that I want to support and websites and shows I want to support that are friends of My Take Radio. So those of you that are out there, fellow broadcasters, um, MMA sites, things like that, there will be some real estate available on MyTakeRadio.com. Just contact me via email, and we can make some arrangements, but there will be some, some space for sale for some ads. So keep an eye out on that, and, of course, you will get properly um, – you will get a proper plug during every broadcast, so definitely mtrhost at gmail.com. Also, mytakeradio.com email addresses are live, so you can email some of your favorite My Take Radio staff members with questions or concerns. Um, you can email slick at slick at mytakeradio.com. Ant, you can email him at ant at mytakeradio.com. Andrea, same thing. Uh, Josh as well. And I believe Bronx's email should be live, so you can email him at bbronx at mytakeradio.com if you want to get in contact with the authors about any of their articles or just have any questions. Those will be their emails. You can also use the contact button on the mytakeradio.com website, and I will relay your message to whatever author you have a question for. So had to get that out of the way. The donation button is live, as always. Those of you that have donated, thanks a lot helps keep My Take Radio moving and growing, so thank you for your donations. Um, on another donation note, 
Uh, my fiance will be doing the Making Strides Against Cancer Walk this Sunday. So if you haven't donated and would like to do your part, definitely stop her by her page, my personal page, or I will post a link on the fan page to make a donation. Minimum is five bucks. Um, with all your donations so far, she's already gotten halfway to her goal, which is $500. So thank you guys in advance. You guys know who you are. Um, new posts, of course, on the site. New posts from Slick, myself, Andrea. You can check out Ant's 10 Things um, I Learned at Comic-Con. I will be posting my 10 things hopefully this weekend. Um, I got an email actually asking me about Minority Film Report broadcasts in the coming weeks, and I got a couple of movie recommendations. They will be making a return. It's just a, a, a timing issue and just trying to get with everybody and getting our schedules in sync. Don't think you've heard the last of the Minority Film Report. They will be coming back soon, so you can bank on that. Broke 400 fans on our Facebook fan page. We are already almost at 410. Uh, thank you guys all for spreading the word. Looking at some of our numbers, we've got listeners now in the U.K., Germany, China, a couple of listeners in Japan. I know some of our uh, My Take Radio Army members are in Canada Got some feedback from some of those guys, including Blaine from BornStubborn.com. So definitely many thanks and many welcomes to our international listeners as well. Um, definitely I got a quote slick. Lots of spiders for sure. Um, oh, shit. Ant is right. Sorry about that, Ant. Ant's email correction is AA at MyTakeRadio.com, but I think I may have set up an alias for him under Ant as well. I will be testing that, but it's AA at MyTakeRadio.com. In addition to that, here's a rundown of tonight's topics to close out the housekeeping. We're going to talk the Ultimate Fighter, Strike Force event, Raw, TNA's Bound for Glory, uh, the end of NPD reporting as we know it for hardware. We're going to talk some movie news, including Marvel casting news, uh, some Batman casting news, some really, really crazy shit involving Napoleon Dynamite and how you haven't heard the last of that. Lots of stuff going on. Let's crack this open with some MMA news first. Of course, this past weekend was the Strike Force event with Nick Diaz and KJ Nunes. Um, definitely uh, uh, one of the better events that Strike Force has put on. Huge huge Nick Diaz fan. A lot of people, you know, he has his detractors. They're like, ah, Nick Diaz is a prick, blah, 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 blah. But I will tell you this, regardless of how he reacts in the, in the cage or in the ring, he is a consummate professional. With the fans, he treats them well. He's just a nice dude to the fans. Don't get me wrong, he dials it in and becomes a complete dick when the bell rings. But you know what? He's paid to punch people in the face and not paid to make friends, so... He's got to do what he's got to do. So let's run down the card a little bit. The welterweight bout with Andre Galvao and Tyrone Woodley, who is a friend of MMA Gospel. Uh, definitely a really great fight from Tyrone Woodley. Uh, round one knockout. He's 7-0. and just, just came in, just total domination on his part. Galvao, you know, came in, tried to do what he had to do. He caught a combo from Woodley that he ate. And, of course, uh, Woodley threw some body kicks. Then he dropped Galvao with a left. Woodley backed off, though. He didn't pounce really quick. Galvao missed a right. He missed a leg kick. When Galvao went to shoot in for a takedown, he ate a few shots. And, of course, Woodley, being a smart fighter that he is, he's really a really great welterweight prospect to keep an eye out. Woodley backed off when Galvao was wobbled. He shoots in. 
Woodley caught him again with some shots, and the fight was stopped. Definitely a great performance from Tyrone Woodley with the KO in round one. The Strikeforce women's 135-pound title was contested. The champion, Sarah Kaufman, was defending her belt against Marluz Kunin. Uh, Kaufman was coming in 12-0. Kunin, of course, she fought um, the always awesome fight, the the, the almost always awesome to watch Christian Cyborg Santos. And, of course, that was just a rape from Cyborg beating Marluz's ass. But I'll tell you this, she came in with her game face on. She took it to... Sarah Kaufman in round one. In round two, definitely uh, an even round. It ended up with um, Kaufman catching a kick and taking Kunin down, and there was a little bit of ground and pound as the round ended. Round three, though, oh, boy, she got caught, and she ended up being caught in an arm bar, and Kaufman taps. Kunin wins the belt. Definitely a real surprising ending. I really had Kaufman picked for this fight. Um, she's got great, you know, great takedowns, good stand-up. Um, Marlouz came in there to do some damage, boy, and she she wasn't playing. She ended up taking the girl's arm home with her, and she got a really great welcome when she went back to her home country. And you can check out some of that coverage on um, our boys at MiddleEasy.com. You can check them out for that. Definitely a great fight. Uh, Jay-Z Cavalcante was fighting Josh Thompson. I'm a huge fan of Josh Thompson. He's, a, he's an animal when he goes in there. I was a little concerned, though, just because you can never count out uh, uh, Cavalcante, who is no joke. Big John McCarthy ref the match. Uh, Thompson took the first round, and Thompson took the second. Third round, definitely, uh, I felt that, that Cavalcante took the third but some people are saying that it was kind of even, and Thompson was also even with him in the first. Thompson, of course, won via unanimous decision. Uh, the welterweight title, Nick Diaz versus KJ Nunes. Diaz coming in, using really great stand-up um, with uh, great work. He took round one. Round two, I felt, was a little even. Diaz, though, round three, turned it up, turned it up again for round four. By the time round five came around, Diaz, Really got it in. Ended up winning via unanimous decision. Um, KJ Noons got, I believe, a broken jaw, a broken hand. Those were his lovely parting gifts for the fight. But definitely a solid card from Strikeforce from start to finish. Very impressed with it. I enjoyed it greatly. I really hope that Strikeforce continues to put solid fights like this together. I mean, they got the the Babalu and Dan Henderson fight coming up. You got um, Alistair Overeem's brother. He's going to be fighting. I believe he is fighting Verdum, if I'm correct. I think I have it here in my notes. So Strikeforce definitely got a couple of great fights to look forward to. Um, congrats once again to Nick Diaz. And with that, let's get into the Ultimate Fighter. This week's episode, um, definitely a little bit more leaning toward more. I really want to say that it's it's really a slow build with the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, I'm really the only guy I really like so far is Bruce Leroy. He's really awesome. Regardless of that, he's a total douchebag on the show. Every show needs a character. Every show needs a villain. So Bruce Leroy is that guy. But but I don't know, man. He's just he's just a likable dude. I mean, I guess I guess just for me, a lot of people they're like, ah, Bruce Leroy's a fucking asshole and he's a dick. But you know what? He makes the show interesting. And you know some of the some of the conflict that happens in the house, you know, Bruce Leroy kind of is a factor in that, but you know what, that makes for great television. You know, Josh Koscheck spends the majority of these, uh, has spent the majority of the episodes trying to get on the GSP skin, 
George St. Pierre, of course, Zen Master. He could really do something stupid, but but he's not. George St. Pierre, consummate professional. He's not going out there trying to do nothing stupid. Um, he's doing a really great job coaching, though. And um, George St. Pierre this week brought in a new guest. It was uh, Jean-Charles Skarbowski. If you haven't seen Jean-Charles Skarbowski fight, I recommend you check out his Muay Thai highlight reels. You can find those on YouTube. That dude is a fucking problem. And and you know what? He really trained. He really trained those guys. Um, I I really want to say he just threw. He really threw those guys a beating. He was definitely dialed in. Fantastic for sure. Bringing him in for some stand up instruction. Uh, Bruce Leroy, of course, in the episode doing his thing, talking a little bit of shit, turning his teammates against him as well. It is what it is. Spencer Page got picked to fight Nam Fan for um, who's representing Team Koscheck. Nam Fan came in, won, won the fight via, via decision. Spencer Page ended up breaking his hand in the fight. Couple of things: the fight was okay. Definitely Nam Fan showing why he's the odds-on favorite. Really great. I'm not counting out Page though. Page had an awesome performance. The guy was fighting with a broken fucking hand, and he just went in there and. He powered through it. I think he also hurt his ankle because there were portions of the fight where I noticed him limping and hobbling a little bit. So I think he may have hurt his ankle as well. And he's a guy that you can definitely be keeping an eye on for the wild card. Uh, A lot of these guys, even though they lose fights, they can find their way back in with the wild card slot for sure. Um, With Namfan winning, you know, Team Koscheck fucking, they, they celebrated like they won the season, which... You know, you can be a, a, a sore loser, but you can also be a sore winner. I mean, you guys were down three zip um, at the start at the start of the season, and you won. You know, you won one fight, so definitely it's going to be interesting in the coming weeks. And I really like to see how Kostrek's strategy is going to unfold for picking the next fight. In the preview for the next episode, it shows that the celebrating by Team Kostrek is definitely getting under the under the skin of GSP. So. Looks like the season is starting to pick up. Like I said, definitely a slow simmer for this season of The Ultimate Fighter. I am enjoying it. I like Bruce Leroy. Koscheck, as always, regardless of whether you like him or dislike him, is making for good TV. GSP, of course, being the fucking Jedi master of MMA that he is, not showing any emotion, you know, because it leads you to the dark side. You know, he's just trying to be real level-headed, which is cool. But definitely he's teaching these guys some really great instruction. He's bringing in some really great guest coaches. He fucking had Mike Tyson brought in, which is which is awesome in it in its own right. Mike Tyson has a great mind for fighting, regardless of the fact that he likes to punch tigers in the face and in the balls. Mike Tyson's fight knowledge impressed the hell out of me. I always knew he when it came to the fight game, he was in a class by himself. But when he was sitting there talking to these fighters, schooling them on the fight game, really opened my eyes to Michael J- uh, Michael Jackson, to Mike Tyson as a person and not just a guy who bit somebody's ear off and, you know, punched Robin Givens in the face. So definitely, definitely something that I really liked from seeing Mike Tyson on The Ultimate Fighter. All right, let's get into some MMA news. Of course, the last couple of weeks I had been talking about Batista making his way into Strike Force, and of course the big fight that everybody was hoping and waiting for is Batista against Bobby Lashley. Um, Scott Coker recently told the MMA Hour that he thinks that Lashley versus Batista should happen in Strikeforce, but the main issue right now seems to be Batista's schedule. 
Batista also spoke about his future in MMA, and here's, you know, let me go through some of the highlights of the interview. He said that he wants to do a multi-fight deal. He'd like to have at least three guaranteed fights. He wants a tune-up fight, a big fight, and a pay-per-view fight. First off, these are really big fucking demands for a guy who's never fought MMA ever. This is a guy who can probably sneeze the wrong way and tear his quad. Look, I admire Batista for wanting to get into the cage. It's great, very admirable. Motherfucker, you are old. Your body, your, your, your muscle, your ligaments are made out of fucking pipe cleaners from all the roids and shit. And anybody who dares sit here and tell me that Batista is not on steroids, needs to get their fucking head examined, or needs to have an elevator door close on their skull, just because, look at him. The guy's like 40-something years old. He has a 16-year-old daughter. He chiseled out of fucking granite. It's absurd. But the fact that he's making some of these demands, he should just be happy that he has another avenue to, to compete in besides wrestling. Don't get me wrong. I understand he wants to go into MMA, and I know he wants a tune-up fight. But, all right, let's say he gets in there. And tune-up fight. All right, he has his little tune-up fight. What big fight can you possibly give him? Lashley? Okay, you give him the Lashley fight. Let's say he wins. What next? He's not fucking fighting Fedor or Verdum or Overeem. What, what do you do then? Maybe, maybe, Brett, maybe you give him Brett the Grim Rogers. Maybe you give him Andre Arlovsky. It's absurd. Already I'm not liking what he's trying to pull. When asked about his age, he said, I've always, been honest with, I've always been honest with myself. I'm not getting any younger, so three fights is all I can commit to. Wow. Way to come to that big realization, Dave. I don't know how I'm going to feel after those three fights. He's probably going to need a lot of Ben Gay, that's for sure. If I'm 42 and I've had three fights, my window of opportunity is not very large. No shit. On the fight, when asked about what fights he would like, this is what he had to say, which is insane. I'd like to have an easier fight where I could get comfortable in the cage. Then I'd like to go into a big fight with Bobby. And then I'd like to have a large pay-per-view fight. When asked about does he have the tools to compete, I'm, going, I'm not going to come into the ring and start yelling and screaming and attacking guys. I'm going to bring some skill. It's going to, it's going to be a lot of speed and agility with power behind it. I've got all the tools. I'm 42 years old, but I can go and train for one or two hours nonstop and I don't have a problem. The reason I was successful in wrestling is because I stayed in shape nonstop. Well, to cut that off one second, of course you stayed in shape nonstop. Dianabol, Winstrel, diuretics, you know, all that stuff helps. Fucking horse steroids, tranquilizers, somas. Oh, yeah, sure, that'll help you stay in shape year-round. I have the durability. Right. I just have to put it all together and get the skills. I think I'll be an exciting fighter. I'm either going to win big or lose big. Look, I admire what he wants to do. I know that he can go in there, and he can probably, he can probably if they give him a tomato can, and not even, because even tomato cans have legit skill, he might do all right. But seeing himself doing more than three fights is lunacy. I think he should get a, a tune-up fight, a decent fight, and the Lashley fight. That's it. Those are his three fights. You, motherfucker, you want to fight on pay-per-view? You're insane, besides the fact that Strike Force doesn't do pay-per-view. But get the fuck out of here. 
And I have to give, I have to just toss it to Slick in the chat. Slick said it best. MMA fighters train at minimum seven hours a day. This is true. You know, one or two hours a day that, that Batista is doing versus a guy who does, you know, jiu-jitsu at 10 a.m., Muay Thai at 1 p.m., grappling at 8 p.m., you know, the, uh, conditioning drills, all, you know, stand-up work, clinch game, boxing. These guys do all these different fundamentals, work on all these fundamentals just to get ready for fights. And he's in there doing one to two hours at 41 years old. He must be high off his ass if he thinks that he can survive more than three fights. Fuck, I'd let him fight Herschel Walker. I think Herschel Walker will fucking throw him a beating. Herschel Walker's in a different category. He's a different breed of dude versus a guy like Batista who thinks that, you know, just because he has a body like fucking, like the tick, that he can come in there and, and, and do some major damage. He's, he's in for a rude awakening, and, you know, the quote said it best, of either winning big or losing big. Uh, moving on. The weigh-ins for UFC 121 have been finalized, and they're going to be on October 22nd at the Honda Center in Anaheim, California, for those of you that are out in Cali. The event, of course, is free and open to the public. The doors will open at 1 o'clock, and the first fighter will hit the scales at 2. Probably you'll be able to catch a stream of that on UFC.com, and sometimes if you, if you have Spike TV, you can check Spike TV as well because sometimes they do broadcast the weigh-ins. So check that out as well. The main card for that event, which is going to be on October 23rd, is, of course, Brock Lesnar defending the heavyweight title against Cain Velasquez. Huge fight I want to see. If you've been watching the UFC primetime special, you see why. Uh, Martin Campman is fighting Jake Shields. You've got Diego Sanchez and Paulo Thiago. Matt Hamill versus my buddy and, 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 and a huge, huge dude that I'm a fan of, Tito Ortiz. Uh, this is for, honestly, I feel is the make-or-break fight for Tito. I think that if Tito loses after this, he really has to reevaluate his career as a fighter. Love Tito Ortiz to death. Always exciting. Knows how to sell fights, but I don't know, man. I think a loss, a loss from Hamill, and, I, you know, what are you going to do, fight Chuck Liddell as your last fight? Uh, Gabriel Gonzaga versus Brendan Schaub is your other event on the main card. The preliminary card, of course, will be on Spike TV. You've got Ryan Jensen fighting Court McGee and Patrick the Predator Cote fighting Tom Lawler. On the preliminary non, non-televised card, you've got Sam Stout and Paul Taylor. You've got the always awesome Mike the Joker Guyman. He's going to be fighting Daniel Roberts. Um, Chris Camoz is going to be fighting Donnie Yang. And John Madsen is going to be fighting Gilbert Idol. Of course... Wouldn't be some MMA news without talking a little bit about Jason Mayhem Miller and, of course, his feud with Nick Diaz. Of course, right after the fight ended, right before the press conference, once again, Nick Diaz and Jason Miller almost came to blows and had to be separated by fight officials. Of course, shortly after that press conference, it's been rumored that, like Scott Coker said, after Diaz heals up, he may entertain the opportunity of letting these guys settle it in the cage. I honestly think that Diaz versus Nunes, while it was a good fight, shouldn't have happened, and it should have been Diaz versus Jason Mayhem Miller. It's only because of the backstory that's there, the bad blood that's there, and it's just an exciting fight, man. It, I don't know if you want to make it for the belt or do a catchweight fight, but Mayhem and, and Nick Diaz need to fight. These two motherfuckers hate each other, and it has to go down. Has to. 
UFC 125 is also starting to take shape. That's going to be January 1st. Very excited. Um, one of my, another of my favorite fighters, Clay Guida, is going to be fighting another dude that I'm a fan of. He's going to be fighting Takanori Gomi, the fireball kid. In addition to that, you're going to have Frankie Edgar defending the lightweight title against Gray Maynard. Shane Carwin will be fighting the one and only big country, Roy Nelson. Rumored fights on that card, Chris Lieben versus Brian Stan, uh, Thiago Silva versus Brandon Vera, Nate Diaz is going to be fighting on that card, as well as Antonio McKee versus Jacob Christmas Volkman. Recently announced also, uh, Ultimate Fighter 11 semifinalist Brad Tavares will be meeting the New York badass Phil Baroni. Verbal agreements are allegedly in place for the fight, and it should be taking place at middleweight. Huge Phil Baroni fan, always an exciting dude to watch. Don't sleep on Brad Tavares, though. He's a fucking problem as well. Again, that's going to be in Vegas at the MGM Grand, January 1st. Let me see. Damn, I got so many notes all over my desk and on my screen. Uh, the 2010 World MMA Awards will air once again on the Versus Network. Those awards are going to air on December 9th, 2000, uh, December 9th at 10 p.m. Definitely a great way to close out 2010. Last year's World MMA Awards were really cool to watch. Um, you're going to recognize some of the industry's best fighters in 20 fan-voted categories. Always great to watch. And just some of the categories they got, you know, best knockout, best middleweight, best heavyweight, fighter of the year. Definitely something to watch for sure, and you can catch that on the Versus Network December 9th. According to Dave Meltzer, Bobby Lashley's contract with Strikeforce has ended. Of course, this puts in jeopardy the, the great fight between him and Batista. Lashley is currently in what's called the, the negotiating period, which means that he can't talk to any other MMA promotion. But the Strikeforce deal does allow him to go back to pro wrestling, so you never know. You may see Bobby Lashley back in TNA. Once that exclusivity period ends, he can talk to any other MMA um, promotions out there if Strikeforce doesn't match any offers. One of the things that's really weird is that Strikeforce has lost interest due to Lashley's loss to Chad Griggs, which is unfortunate, but you know what? The fact that they lost interest so quick shows that they really didn't believe in Lashley to begin with. And look, Bobby Lashley, marketable guy, big guy, great heavyweight, needs a little bit more seasoning, a couple of more fights under his belt, and, and he can do his thing. Unfortunately... You know, I think that Strikeforce was expecting him to come in and run rough shot through the division. And you've got to take into account, on any given day, you can get your ass whooped. It happens. So for, for them to allegedly have lost interest because of his loss to Chad Griggs, don't get me wrong, he, a lot of people say he quit during that fight, but if he had mono and a whole bunch of shit and he still fought, got to give him credit. I'd rather at least see him fight at least two more fights in Strikeforce, and if he loses, fine. But if he wins, at least he gets a fair shake. What, what happens now? Does he, you know, does he continue fighting for other organizations like Dream or Shark Fights? Does he try and get on the Ultimate Fighter? Honestly, I think that for a guy like Lashley, the Ultimate Fighter would be a great avenue for him. I think that it worked for Kimbo Slice, made Kimbo Slice already a household name, even a bigger household name. Kimbo Slice, who, by the way, is rumored to be on the next season of Survivor. I don't know how true that is, so don't quote me on it. I think that if they do another heavyweight season of The Ultimate Fighter, I'd like to see Lashley on it. I think, again, great talent, 
phenomenal wrestling pedigree, him on The Ultimate Fighter would be really interesting, especially coming in with that pro wrestling stigma, much like when Kimbo Slice came in with the, with the street fighting stigma. And a lot of people, you know, they, they, their preconceived notions on Kimbo changed as the season went on. Lashley, shoo-in for The Ultimate Fighter. If, if anybody that knows Bobby Lashley is listening, tell him that he needs to just do The Ultimate Fighter and he can go and fight with the big boys in the UFC. Jake Shields, of course, like I said earlier in the broadcast, will be fighting Marvin Camp- Martin Kentman at, U- at the uh, next UFC event. But at a press conference in Montreal, Dana White went on record saying that if Jake Shields wins against Kentman, he will be getting a title shot against George St. Pierre. Now, I'm not really a fan of, of this particular decision by, by Dana, and the reason is because a couple of months back, John Fitch fought Thiago Alves. The winner would be getting a shot at GSP or Josh Koscheck. Of course, the big concern was that since John Fitch trains with Josh Koscheck, that he would not take a title fight against his training partner. Unfortunate, but rumors are that, you know, that way of thinking kind of started to, to mellow out, and John Fitch considered fighting, would, you know, would consider fighting Koscheck if he beat GSP. I think that if you make that promise and everybody knows it, that John Fitch should be the next one to fight GSP. Simple as that. If you don't want to go that route, then at least have Jake Shields fight John Fitch with the winner getting GSP. I think it's very unfair that, you know, you put it out there, Alves and Fitch fought with a lot on the line to get a shot at GSP. Fitch wins. He gets the shot. Now all of a sudden, you know, Jake Shields saunters in after a decent performance against Hendo and he automatically gets a title shot after one fight. Not sold on that, man. I mean, you know, there, of course Dana White is looking at the big picture in terms of numbers and buy rate, but not, not, not something that I'm really cool with, man. I, I think that John Fitch, if you made the fucking promise, let him fight. For those of you with aspirations at being the next Ultimate Fighter, November 4th is the day for you. That's when the search for the Ultimate Fighter 13 cast begins with open trials for welterweights and middleweights. Filming will begin in January with an April debut on Spike TV. If you are interested in trying out, you can head over to the Summerlin Ballroom at the Red Rock Resort. And that's uh, 11011 Charleston Boulevard. Registration is going to take place between 8 and 9 a.m. Fighters will grapple and hit pads as part of the audition process. Of course, you've got to be 21 years old and have had at least three professional fights. To wrap up the MMA news, I've got to send uh, a, huge congratula- a huge congratulatory shout-out to Razor Rob McCullough, who, of course, was a former guest, uh, former WEC lightweight champion, coach on last season's Ultimate Fighter. Um, he has signed a deal to participate in the upcoming Season 4 Bellator lightweight tournament. The eight-man tournament will kick off next year, and it will determine the next title contender. Uh, Razor Rob McCullough spent 13 months in the WEC as champion from 2007 to 2008. Definitely super excited for Razor Rob, not only because he's a friend of the show, but he's definitely somebody to watch in Bellator. He's a dangerous lightweight. He's got championship experience, so definitely keep an eye out for that. Of course, you know, McCullough's been out spending time with his wife and his, his, his young son, so definitely something to keep an eye on in the coming 2011 Bellator season for sure. So once again, MTR has got to congratulate Razor Rob. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back, talk some wrestling, and we're going to 
shit a little bit on the TNA Bound for Glory pay-per-view. Stay tuned right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. Hey, this is Rachel from Anime Hot Stuff, and you're listening to My Take Radio. All right, we're back. Let's talk some wrestling. And boy, do I have some shit to talk about this week. First off, let's talk about Bound for Glory, the huge TNA stroke job that was super important because it was happening on 10-10-10. They made a huge storyline out of it with Abyss running around like a fucking asshole off his meds. 10-10-10, they're coming! Blah, 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 blah. Total fucking colostomy bag of a fucking payoff for that storyline. Let's start off with first thing. TNA Tag Team title match. The always awesome Motor City Machine Guns versus Generation Me. As always, great match from these guys. Motor City Machine Guns, fantastic. Start to finish. Generation Me, huge up-and-coming tag team with shades of the retro Hardy Boys from back in the day. Tag team to watch. Great opener for the pay-per-view. Fantastic. So that was all good. The TNA Knockouts title match had a fatal four-way with Angelina Love, Velvet Sky, Madison Rain, and Tara, and Mickey James, recently signed by TNA, was your special guest referee. Definitely a weaker, a weaker version of most women's matches in terms of title matches. I definitely got to rank it right. slightly low. It felt a little bit jumbled, a little bit thrown together. Only because I guess there wasn't chemistry between the four. I mean, Angelina Love and Velvet Sky, tag team, their tag team wrestling, always good. Their promo work, always good. Madison Rain, not totally sold on her as a champion, much less as, as a wrestler. She still seems a little rough around the edges. Tara, of course, always delivers. She comes in. She's a veteran of the game, solid. Match ended with Tara taking the pinfall on Velvet Sky, with, of course, a little bit of shenanigans grabbing the tights on the roll-up. Definitely surprised that Tara won the belt. I honestly thought they may have given the belt to Velvet Sky just to keep it amongst the beautiful people or put it back on Madison Rain, but they went with Tara. Mickey James, of course, involved in the match, slowly setting up her introduction into the knockouts division. Mickey James, this isn't her first rodeo, pardon the country music pun there, but She's been in TNA before under the alias of Alexis Lurie. She was part of Raven's Flock at, at one point with uh, CM Punk and Julio De Niro. So for those of you that think that this is uh, Mickey James' first time in TNA, you are mistaken. This is her second, her second time there. Um, throwaway match with Ink Ink and Orlando Jordan and Eric Young. Ink Ink ended up winning the match. I really hate this tag team of Young and Orlando Jordan. Um, Eric Young is back to his old, I'm a fucking 
retard gimmick where, you know, he got hit in the head and he became a fucking moron again. Orlando, Gor- Orlando Jordan channeling his, uh, his best impression of Goldust with the uh, quasi-gay behavior that he always uses, which Goldust used successfully way back when. It seems like an odd pairing, definitely a, a comedy tag team. Not impressed. Really don't like Eric Young. He's, he's fallen out of grace with me severely. I mean, had a really great uh, storyline when he was leader of World Elite, and then it just fucking shit the bed with him. I don't know if it's the writing. I don't know if it's just his promo work. Just Eric Young's not cool. And Orlando Jordan, definitely a unique character, especially because they've played into the fact that he's bisexual in real life, and they've tried to integrate that into the character. I don't know where they want to go with that. They ori- originally wanted to go with him having a male and female valet uh, escort him to the ring, and, you know, they wanted to tease a little bit of, you know, bisexual shenanigans um, during Impact. Uh, that ended abruptly when Ric Flair had an issue with uh, Orlando Jordan's male companion, and that pretty much killed that deal. Uh, definitely a storyline that teeters a little bit on controversial given what's been going on, you know, with with, uh, the gay community as of late. Orlando Jordan's character, I wouldn't write it off. I don't think it's a shitty character, but I think that if they're going to go that route and start channeling the old gold dust gimmick, you know, with him just just being a weirdo, then by all means, go for it. But either pull the trigger or find something else for him to do as opposed to this really stupid tag team with Eric Young. I just think it's it's a real shitty deal from start to finish. Uh, the TNA X Division title match with Jay Lethal and Douglas Williams. Really good match. Douglas Williams, his finishing move, uh, Chaos Theory, a fantastic finishing move that we actually got to see during the match, which was awesome. Of course, Jay Lethal retained the belt. Shortly afterwards, he was attacked by the TNA version of the Jersey Shore, aptly named The Shore, which is Robbie E. and Cookie. Cookie, of course, being a play on Snooki from the Jersey Shore and Robbie E. being a play on the situation and Ronnie from the Jersey Shore, which leads to this week's impact with a guest appearance from Wow from the Jersey Shore. If you haven't seen the video of that wonderful segment, head over to the Facebook fan page and check that out. The Monsters Ball match with Abyss and RVD was actually a surprisingly good hardcore match. I think that when Abyss is in his element, he does really well, and RVD is just fucking RVD. He's just awesome. So definitely a fantastic hardcore match. Rob Van Dam won, of course, with the always awesome five-star frog splash after hitting Abyss with his his weapon called Janus, which is basically a two-by-four with nails sticking out of it. Definitely impressed that they actually allowed Janus to be used in a match just because... The margin of error with something like that is really fucking huge. So props to TNA for letting that happen. Uh, another really shitty tag team match. It was Kevin Nash, Sting, and the Pope versus Jeff Jarrett and Samoa Joe. If you didn't see a screw job coming, boy, are you fucking dumb. Because obviously Jeff Jarrett turned on Samoa Joe. The winners of the match were Pope, Sting, and Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash, of course, is wrapping up his tenure with TNA, and it's rumored that he will be retiring. So, total clusterfuck of a match. I don't even know why they put the Pope with Sting and Kevin Nash to begin with. Of course, the burial of Samoa Joe continues. This is a guy that came in, huge amount of fanfare, huge following, 
great wrestler, just phenomenal from start to finish, and he's fucking losing to old-ass Kevin Nash. I like Kevin Nash, great, great wrestler, great mic work, but at this stage in the game, a loss by Samoa Joe to Kevin Nash isn't helping him, it's hindering him, especially with Kevin Nash fucking wrapping up his contract and moving on, so definitely a real shitty move on PNA's part. The lethal lockdown match had ED 2.0, a.k.a. Uh, team ECW against Fortune. Um, really great lethal lockdown match. I enjoyed it. Some people, they were like, eh, they didn't think it was that great. But definitely, I enjoyed it. Tommy Dreamer, of course, won the match for EV 2.0 with a Spicoli driver um, on a chair, which was really good. There were definitely some awesome spots in that match. And, of course, the main event for the TNA, for the vacant TNA title had Kurt Angle, Mr. Anderson, and Jeff Hardy. This is where the they storyline comes to play because, of course, it has to happen during the main event. Needless to say, match was going really well. All of a sudden, Mr. Anderson, Kurt Angle knock each other out. Bischoff runs down with a chair, which automatically you knew that he was just put, he was put fucking part of the they faction. He was about to use the chair. Hogan who, of course, is post-surgery, hobbles down to the ring. And I mean hobbles, with crutches and all, gets in the ring. All of a sudden, he's a, you know, Eric Bischoff takes one of his crutches. He's going to hit somebody. Jeff Hardy decides to take the crutches from both of them and proceeds to hit Kurt Angle and Mr. Anderson. Thus, the Jeff Hardy heel turn. Jeff Hardy, of course, is one of them, along with Abyss, Hogan, Bischoff, and Jeff Jarrett. So all of that, and the only major thing that happened in that storyline was Jeff Hardy turning heel. The rest, complete bullshit. Wasn't Abyss beating Jeff Hardy's ass like three weeks ago? Didn't he like throw him off the stage or some shit? Didn't he, didn't he beat up Hulk Hogan and try and shove the Hall of Fame ring down Hulk Hogan's throat, Abyss? But didn't Eric Bischoff get threatened by Abyss for like six months? Didn't Eric Bischoff make Jeff Jarrett clean toilets for, for, for a couple of episodes of Impact when they were feuding? All of a sudden, you sweep all of that under the rug, and you create yet another faction? Total fucking bullshit. You got EV2, you got Fortune, now you got them, or whatever the fuck they want to call them. Ugh. Fucking TNA, man. They could have just done something different. They could have brought in, you know, Paul Heyman, or they could have brought in, like, uh, Kevin Thorne and put him with Abyss. Something different, something fresh. No. Fucking Hollywood Hogan dug out of the fucking cobwebs, bringing his old ass to the ring. I love you, Hulk Hogan. You're a part of my childhood. You are, you're like the Mumra of wrestling. That fucking, you summon the ancient spirits of evil to give you energy to hobble your ass down to the ring. It's disgusting. Disgusting. TNA should have done something different. I, I, the Jeff Hardy heel turn, I can understand. Well done. Something different. You know, you don't really see Jeff Hardy play the heel. But I would have probably turned Jeff Hardy heel and aligned him with, you know, Shannon Moore and um, Jesse Neal from Inc. Inc. And then you wait for Matt Hardy to get the boot from WWE. You add him to the faction. You got yourself a nice little group. And, you know, Jeff Hardy's one of those weird, you know, he borders on that, you know, weird shit. You can put Abyss with him as, like, an enforcer if you want. 
And you can say that him and Abyss kind of squashed their beef, and you move on. No. Fucking Bischoff, Hogan, and Jarrett. Fucking Jarrett. What? Fucking guitar shots and slap nuts? Ugh. Terrible. Terrible. In other news, and, I, and I'll talk about Raw towards the end of the segment, Wow got paid $15,000 for appearing on TNA Impact this week, and she is negotiating for more appearances. <sighs> really? You guys paid $15,000 to put Wow on TNA, yet wrestlers like Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin, who are free agents, don't get brought in to, to help TNA out. Absurd. Totally absurd. For those of you that are fans of Evan Bourne, he got written off of this week's Monday Night Raw because he will be having surgery on his shoulder and is expected to be out four months. Let's talk some Raw in keeping with that. Of course, WWE Raw continued the Cena-Nexus storyline this week, which I have to admit, still not uh, 100% sold on. I'm just going to run through Raw really quick. Um, they were setting up the teams for the next WWE pay-per-view, which will be bragging rights. And um, the matches that happened throughout Monday Night Raw were for members of the bragging rights teams for Raw and SmackDown. Of course, one of the first qualifier, you had Ted DiBiase versus R-Truth. Really tired of, of R-Truth and fucking Eve coming out and dancing all the time. R-Truth, of course, wins with some interference from Goldust, who distracted DiBiase, R-Truth, member of Team Raw. Next member for the next match, John Morrison fighting Tyson Kidd. It was a given that Morrison was going to win this match with a really awesome finishing move. He did a, uh, almost like a flipping rock bottom. Very well done on Tyson Kidd. John Morrison joins Team Raw for bragging rights. Next up, Santino Morella of All People versus Zack Ryder. Uh, Santino ends up winning... And he is now a member of Team Raw for bragging rights. In a little bit of tag team action, you had Justin, well, not tag team action, sorry. Justin Gabriel, accompanied by Heath Slater and David Otunga, wrestled Randy Orton. Uh, match, you knew Randy Orton was going to win. It was a given. I noticed that Gabriel pulled a 450, which he missed. I don't know if he was supposed to miss it, but Randy Orton rolled the wrong way, and Gabriel landed on Randy Orton's back and shoulder. Again, Definitely a botch for sure. Randy Orton ended up winning the match with an RKO. Like I said, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but definitely uh, something to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. Uh, another qualifier was Sheamus against Daniel Bryan once again. For a qualifier, Bryan buried. I mean, he, he, he got a lot of offense in. He, Sheamus made him look good in the match, but... I don't know, man, this, this fucking burial that they're doing to Daniel Bryan. The guys are U.S. champion, for God's sakes. Fuck, you know, I know, I know Sheamus is the future and shit, and he's, you know, a, a good bad guy, but you, you're jobbing out your U.S. champion. You know, he's your second in line to the heavyweight title. It, I, I think it was just a real shitty move on, on their part. Evan Bourne, of course, and the recently traded CM Punk, who was traded to Raw for Edge, who ended up going to SmackDown. Of course... CM Punk won the match and ended up injuring, quote-unquote, Evan Bourne so that Evan Bourne can get his shoulder surgery, like I said earlier. The last one, The Miz and Alex Riley versus John Cena for the captain spot for the, quali for the uh, bragging rights team. 
everybody expected John Cena to win, but John Cena, of course, will be escorting. Uh, he'll be playing second banana to Wade Barrett in his title match against Randy Orton. So it was a given that Cena was not going to win. Of course, there were some shenanigans and involvement from season two uh, NXT rookies, Husky Harris and Michael McGillicuddy, who it is a given are going to join the Nexus. So the Miz wins the match, and he will be captain of Team Raw. There's still one empty slot, which was rumored to be for Mark Henry, who had to take some personal time off because his brother was in the hospital. Um, his brother, I believe, had a stroke and was in a coma, so hopefully Mark Henry gets all that squared away and his brother pulls through. He's supposed to be the alleged seventh member. Of course, to wrap things up on Raw, they set up for next week. Uh, John Cena will be wrestling Husky Harris. Well, John Cena and Randy Orton are going to be wrestling against Husky Harris and Michael McGillicuddy. If John Cena loses, Husky Harris and Michael McGillicuddy will join the Nexus. Obviously, you know John Cena is losing next week. Definitely a real, real poor way to induct those guys into the group, but... It is what it is. Wade Barrett, though, great promo work from John, uh, on John Cena at the end of Monday Night Raw. He just clowned the shit out of him. He called John Cena a loser. He called him spineless. He called him a fucking chicken. called him a disgrace. Real fantastic promo work from Barrett. You can see that this guy is definitely going to be a force in the future. He cuts his promos. There's no stumbling, no stuttering. Clean, perfect, and, and to the T. So definitely much improvement for Wade Barrett for Monday Night Raw. To wrap up the wrestling news for this week, uh, TMZ has reported that the toxicology results came back from the, uh, from the passing of Luna Vachon. It turns out that she died from an overdose of pain medication and anti-anxiety medication. The District 6 Medical Examiner's Office in Florida made the determination that her death was ruled an accidental overdose. Of course, Luna Vachon was found dead in her Florida home in August. Last, two, last couple of bits of wrestling news. Um, a couple of weeks back, I was discussing that Freddie Prince Jr. was brought on board to help write uh, in the WWE, I believe primarily for Monday Night Raw. After a couple of months, he ended up leaving for a bit to work on some projects. Turns out that he is coming back. Now, I'm not shitting on this for the simple fact that when Freddie Prince Jr. was working on Raw, it seemed like the, like the show had some direction. It seemed that it was just better written. And one of the reasons is because Freddie Prince Jr. is a legit WWE fan, and things like that help. I think when you bring in writers that are familiar with the product and don't write As the World Turns or fucking Gossip Girl but that know about wrestling, it, it definitely reflects on the product and helps it look better. Of course, a lot of people... Are backstage are very are very excited about that just because many wrestlers feel that they don't have a connection with the creative staff and Freddie Prince Jr. since he's a fan and respects what the wrestlers do helps um, introduce ideas to them from a different perspective and helps reinforce that connection between creative and the wrestlers so definitely a step in the right direction and um, Chris Nowinski of course I discussed couple of weeks back, the whole issue with uh, his concussion research and the Linda McMahon campaign and, you know, the war of words between them from the passing of Lance Cade. It seems that Chris Nowinski was on WEEI radio in Boston and mentioned that he had spoken to Vince McMahon recently, who stated that he wanted to support, he wanted to lend his support to the Sports Legacy Institute and its research. The Sports Legacy Institute researches concussions and their adverse effects on athletes. Um, Definitely 
uh, great news for Nowinski just because his findings in regards to what happened with Chris Benoit opened a lot of people's eyes to what concussions do to athletes and professional sports. And I think definitely Vince McMahon is, is partaking in this. One, obviously, because it's, he wants to show that he cares about the WWE superstars. But two, obviously, we see that Linda is running for fucking Senate. And you want to make sure to get behind a couple of noble causes, especially those that will help prolong the longevity of your athletes. So definitely smart move on the part of Vince McMahon. And to wrap up the wrestling, TNA has announced that they have signed former WWE diva Katie Lee Burchill after a tryout match in August. Uh, Katie was released from the WWE in April after being there for four years. Um, Katie Lee Burchill's character, uh, definitely underused. Um, she uh, participated in matches with her storyline brother, Paul Burchill, who uh, is, a, is a great wrestler. I don't know what has happened with him. Um, I was hoping to see him in TNA as well. You never know. Hopefully it'll happen. Definitely a, a great wrestler from, Eng- from England, Paul Burchill. And Katie Lee Burchill just wasn't given a fair shake, and I think it's lending to the, to the point that everybody's noticing that they're starting to really reinforce the knockouts division again. Hopefully with a little bit of better writing and some better storylines, the knockouts division can rise back to prominence like it used to be in the early days of TNA. I'm going to take a commercial break. We're going to talk some video games. Right after this. The following advertisement is for BornStubbornRadio.com. BornStubborn Radio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. At Born Stubborn Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting! And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. <laughs> we're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck's sake, man! <laughs> Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? Yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Stubborn Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking. But PornStuffInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you get it! Have good mosh pitting! All right, and we're back. Always uh, the kick-ass commercial from Born Stubborn Radio. Definitely got to ask them to make a new commercial because I really do get creeped out hearing the sound of my own voice. Just a little weird uh, thing that I have with that. But nonetheless, uh, Born Stubborn Radio, check them out on BornStubborn.com. All right. Video games. Let's open it up with something that uh, shouldn't come as no surprise. The PSP is rumored to be getting, well, the PSP Go is rumored to be getting a price drop of about 50 bucks, lowering it to the magical $200 price point. Does anyone give a fuck? No. Why? Because you're too fucking late in the game. But in addition to that, Sony has announced that they will no longer be offering PSP developmental kits or testing tools past November 15th. Of course, they 
this is lending to the rumor that the PSP2 dev kits are already out there and that you should be seeing the new PSP2 in the, ho- in the 2011 holiday season. Look, how many really good PSP games are out there, honestly? Five, maybe ten, at most. You know, the God of War games, they're good. The Tekken games are okay. You know, the compilation Street Fighters, that's all right. But, but really, how many good PSP games are there? Hardly any. And, yeah, you're going to drop the PSP Go 50 bucks. Great. It's going to be $200. Right. But still, who gives a shit? It's too late in the game for you, Sony. You guys should just let the remaining stock of PSPs and PSP Goes be bought and start from scratch and look for a new alternative in regards to the portable gaming market. Yeah, you got this PSP2 and it's out there and all this shit and it might be cool, it might not. But guess what? You know what's waiting for you when you bring out the PSP2? The 3DS, which comes out in March of 2011 very, very early in the game. And they will have a head start before you release the PSP2. Not only that, but you got Apple knocking on your door with the gaming on, with the game center on the iPhone and the iPad and the iPod. And yet you guys decided after all this time, hey, we're going to drop the, the PSP Go 50 bucks. Nobody is going to buy that shit for $200. Fuck you. No one. For, for $200, I'll get a DSi XL, which has, which has a larger library of titles. It's absurd. It's absurd that they're sitting there, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to make a PSP2, and it's going to come out in the holiday season of 2011. Are, you, are y'all fucking nuts? You guys should be working on the PSP2 to come out in March, in April or even in January of 2011. At least give the, give the, the, the portable gamers that, are, that, that love Sony products something to look forward to, even if you announce the shit now. But no, we're going to go out and we're going to just, you know, we're going to say that we're dropping the PSP Go 50 bucks. Who cares? I honestly think that the PSP Go is going to be the last bastion of effort that Sony can put out to compete in the portable gaming space. I really do. I think it's like their fucking trump card. Because if that shit bombs, Sony needs to reevaluate what they're doing and take a step back and be like, you know what? No more portable shit. Let's focus all our energies on the PS3 and be done with it. That's it. I really don't see the PSP2 revolutionizing portable gaming unless they do something totally crazy. Otherwise... It's, I like what, um, what you said, Waffles. Waffles states in the chat that the PSP2 will basically end up like the Game Boy Micro. Wow. I fucking totally forgot about the Game Boy Micro when that shit came out. Did anybody buy that shit? Ah, I, I, when it came out, I remember it being just totally and utterly fucking pointless. But it is what it is. Let's talk a little bit about Connect, shall we? Of course, like I said earlier in the broadcast, I had the opportunity to uh, get some playing time in with the Connect. Let me tell you guys, 
the PlayStation move or the, P, or the PS move or the Sony move, whatever you want to call it, the move, I compared it to the Wii and said it, that it was an HD Wii and it had a little bit more of a higher sensitivity and it was just the next evolution if you evolved the Wii into the HD realm. That's how I felt about it. Some people gave me some shit about it. You know what? Fuck you guys. Because I played the shit and it felt like I was just playing a 1080p version of the Wii. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Oh, the PSP move, it's a lot more sensitive, and the camera, and, and no. Fuck you. For 50 bucks more, I can buy the Wii, which has motion gaming. What am I paying for for $99? The Wii, the, you know, the fucking move wands with the little fucking glowy balls and, and a camera that's the equivalent of the motion, uh, of, the, of the sensor bar for the Wii? Yeah, sure. What am I playing? Uh, uh, move versions of Resistance? Really? And Resident Evil? Who gives a shit? Oh, look, I can move the wand around and pretend I'm shooting a gun in Resident Evil. But it doesn't stop the fact that the people in Resident Evil move like fucking robots. It, it's fucking absurd. All these people, and, and this is what I hate, especially the, the, the Sony fanboys, because I love all the consoles, they all have great stuff, but the real diehard Sony fanboys, and I heard some of them at Comic-Con, the move is fucking awesome, man, this connection is bullshit, blah, 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 the move is, you can play fucking Resistance, yeah, so what? It's Resistance, you've played it already, you can play Heavy Rain, oh, what's my, what's my little knobby Harry Potter wand controller going to be? A flashlight? Oh, whoopty fucking do it's not impressing me. Unless something really awesome comes out, it, it, the move will remain the HD Wii. Period. Alright. Yeah, Resident Evil 4 arc was, was badass on the Wii, and that's fine, but it's Resident Evil, and, that, and that's fine because it was for the Wii, and, you know, the whole motion gaming thing was just starting to take off. That's fine. But... Oh, look, you can play Resistance with move support. Who, who fucking cares? You can play Heavy Rain now with move support. Who gives a shit? Oh, I'm going to point my little fucking glowy vibrator wand at the screen, and it's going to be a flashlight, or maybe it'll be a lockpick in Resident Evil. How about I can fucking turn into a knife and stab myself at the bullshit that Sony is trying to pass off as, re as revolutionary? It's absurd. It's fucking absurd. Which leads me to the Kinect. I'll tell you right off the bat, I was really hesitant at testing it out just because I was wearing fucking construction boots and I knew I was going to sweat, but I said, fuck it, let's give my take radio something awesome that they can see and give you guys a little bit of playtime with the Kinect. The Kinect has a um, very strange has an RGB camera that um, captures your complete, it, it almost creates a virtual skeleton which actually gets merged with your Xbox avatar. So basically, what you end up doing is you're looking at a, at a, at a picture of yourself that, is, that the Kinect is capturing in its memory banks. From that, from that photo of you, which is basically just you moving around, it builds a skeleton, which it merges with your avatar. I really was impressed with that, and I'll tell you why. Because you're seeing basically a, a, a stick figure in your body, which gets merged with your avatar, that is completely and utterly sensitive. I can tell you, the guy who I play tested it with, 
was popping and locking just for shits, just for, just for the fuck's sake. And his avatar was popping and locking. Perfectly captured, perfectly executed. I just, just to test it out, you know, as a wrestling fan, I wanted to try something. I did the, the John Cena, you can't see me pose. And, you know, which is basically you put your hand in front of your face and you move it from side to side. And my avatar did it. You know, I did the, uh, you know, the, the, the fucking, the, the Akuma arm cross pose, and it did that. Totally fucking accurate, totally on point. I will tell you this, you need space. If you live in a studio apartment, don't get the shit if you don't have a lot of room, especially if you have people over. Don't get me wrong, it, it, much like the Wii, you can make it work in smaller spaces, but I really felt that having a, a wide open space really helped. Um, we play tested two games, Connect Adventures, River, uh, Whitewater Rafting, uh, and um, a game called Rally Ball. Basically, myself and Antoine, a.k.a. Black Bible from uh, Game Fit Nation, um, we both basically got our motions and our skeletons generated. It was linked with our avatars, and what happens is both of you are in a raft, it's going down a fucking, you know, down a river, and you control the raft by moving from side to side. When you jump, if you jump a little bit, the raft moves up a little bit. If you jump really high, it'll, uh, you know, the raft will jump up high with you. In addition to that, you can control the speed by bending down and leaning forward, kind of like when you're riding a motorcycle or leaning back. Definitely really cool. Uh, one thing I did like was that, you know, I worked in tandem with the person I tested with. So, you know, we told each other controls, and we're like, all right, I'm moving left. So we both leaned left, and the raft would bank left. When we both jumped, you know, the raft fucking jumped up really high. And it's definitely a great way to, to show the system. After we finish the game, the Kinect takes photos of you in action. Excuse me. Obviously, I think that you're going to be able to, to um, disable that, but it did take some pictures. Definitely really fun. The jumping definitely fucked me up, definitely made my knee hurt, but overall a pleasant experience. The next game that we tested was Rally Ball. Uh, Rally Ball is basically um, almost like a dodgeball simulation um, where a ball is coming at you, you slap the ball, and you destroy blocks, and you get coins for that. The crazy thing is you can, you can move right arm, left arm, uh, your knees, your feet. You can even hit the ball with your head and the motions were perfectly captured, very impressive. It was really nice. Again, very fun. Um, do you want to pay $149 for it? Not 100% sure you want to do that. One thing I do have to say, you know, if, if you're in the market for a new Xbox, you can buy an Xbox bundle with the Kinect in there. Um, if you do have an Xbox Slim and you want to pick up the Kinect, it has a Kinect jack in the back that's going to power the unit so you don't have to have an, uh, a separate power source for it uh, like you would if you had an older Xbox. So I'm letting you guys know that. If you want to check out the videos, head over to youtube.com slash mytakeradiotv, and you can check that out. Some of the other things you're going to be able to look forward to is voice-activated controls for your console. You can say start last FM. It'll boot up last FM. Start Netflix. You can put a uh, live message. You can put pause game. You can put turn on Xbox 360, turn off Xbox 360. 
Very impressive. Overall, I really liked it. Like I said, the big question is, will you drop 150 for it? Mixed bag. I was definitely kind of sold on it. I don't know about the new 150, but, you know, I don't know about dropping 150 on it, but it was all right. It, look, I definitely felt that the Connect was more revolutionary than the Move. I thought that the Move just took what the Nintendo did and made it better and brought it into the now, which is fine. And the way I see it is like this. If you want fun stuff, you play the Wii. If you want HD, blow, um, you know, mind-blasting graphics, got to quote a little bit of Russell Peters there, then, of course, PlayStation Move for you. Now, if you want something totally fucking immersive, totally, you know, you know, involving your body on a completely different level than the Wii and the Move, then definitely pick up the Connect. Also, if you have space, of course. That's how I see it. The 149 price tag... I told I told the guy when we tested it I'm like that 149 price tag is a really really hard thing to 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 take you know it's 150 bucks for an accessory you know Strider is right you can just as easily buy the Wii but if you don't have the Wii and you want to try a little bit of motion gaming and you like to have people over I think it's the Connect is something that's really awesome at parties and shit like that just like the Wii if you have a lot of people over it's it's fun it's easy to pick up Again, very cool. The 149 is, is my only fucking issue. Totally my only issue is that 149 price, because I really don't know if people are going to drop that 149 for it. That, that, that's the sticking point. I mean, it's bad enough with the move that you're dropping the 100 bucks for the eye camera and, and you know, the two wands and shit. And then on top of that, you've got to buy the navigation controller, which is basically the equivalent of the nunchuck on the Wiimote. You know, it, same thing. I mean, for 50 bucks more, if you want to do something different with your 360 or you don't have a Wii, by all means, check it out. Will it remain at 149 forever? Probably not. I think that, and Dark Helmet said it best, Connect is definitely going to have a lot of gimmicky shit first. Because Connect Adventures, Connect the Moles, uh, the Dance Party game, the, the Dance Party game was really cool. I didn't get to play it, but I saw a video for it, and I have a feeling that that's going to that's be right up there with Rock Band as a party game, especially if you've got a lot of people at your house, for sure. And I'm going to see, I definitely see a lot of drunk motherfuckers tripping over themselves trying to dance in, in, with these Connect games, for sure. Um, I see uh, a hand raise. I am thinking that this might be Slick. Slick, is that you? That's me. What's going on, sir? Yeah, what's going on about um, the whole Connect versus Move thing? Of course, I can't speak too much on Connect because I, I didn't do the demo at, at uh, Comic-Con, and it's not out yet. But, you know, I was try I was out in the stores today. I was trying to take advantage of that freaking Toys R Us sale, buy two, get one free, which, you know, by the way, fuck you, Toys R Us, for... Starting that sale on the week where there's really nothing out to buy, or at least yep. not enough for you know the average person to find three games. True. But um, I can tell you the one thing they I, I was looking at the move because the sale was not just for games. They were saying you can mix and match, mix and match accessories with games with game guys or whatever you wanted. So I was I was looking at the move as possibly my third item, and 
the um the standalone move controller that and the um the bundle with uh you know the the HD version of Wii Sports and the and the PSI right that was all sold out in Toys R Us and you know I, I just stopped in Best Buy just cuz I was looking at you know a few different things in there the standalone controller was sold out there as well. They had plenty of the the um, bundled controllers, which I mean I can understand because anybody who wants the PSI already has that shit. That they had okay. plenty of, but the standalone controller was long gone, and you know it looked like they had equal. They originally had equal amounts of everything. People are buying that that you know that base controller for the move. They're not so much buying, you know, that the the secondary one, you know, like the nunchuck type thing. And the the bundle is moving. All right, I mean, but, I'll, but I'll, tell, I'll tell you this, not, not, not to cut you off, I apologize. But check this out. You played the move in the store with me, and I have the video to prove it. i got to put it up as well. Now, in playing it, do you feel that the move is doing anything, anything, in terms of moving motion gaming forward, other than putting a really pretty coat of paint on the Wii? No. I mean, it basically, it has the responsiveness of a Wiimote with the um, the Wii Motion Plus attached. So it has very good, you know, responsiveness in terms of motion control and, you know, replicating on screen what you're doing with the the controller, but that's about it. That, that's what I'm saying. I think that dropping a hundred, look, the price points are a fucking issue. A hundred dollars for a fucking camera and, 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 a, and a fucking glowing dildo, just it just, it doesn't work for me. Same thing with the well, Kinect. Wait, I like I gotta the Kinect. cut you there. That one forty nine shit ain't working. It's a hundred dollars if you get that bundle. That bundle box is the 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 PS Move controller, the um the sports game and the PSI. Right. If you get just the controller itself, that's fifty bucks. If you get the controller and the nunchuck, that's eighty bucks. So if you if you already have a PSI and you just want the controller, you say fuck the game, that's 80 bucks. Yeah, but even still, look, other than you and, and a select few that are hardcore, who the fuck really bought the PSI? Who? How many people do you honestly know that have an eye camera that actually use it? And not to send cockpits either, but I mean like for real gameplay. Who? I mean, I, I obviously, I can only name one person off the top of my head, actually two people, but I don't really ask people whether or not they have it either. Okay. Well, you know what? That That's actually, I, that would be something, and if you want to put it, maybe I'll put it on the fan page, either one of us, of how many people, how many fans of the show have a, a, an eye camera already, and do they use it? Because I'm curious, because you got to look at it like this. What game came out with that shit? Eye of Judgment? Who yeah, the Eye fuck of Judgment played that? And, Eye of Judgment and Burnout Paradise. That's the only games I can think of 
off the top of my head that used it. Thank you. It's like, it's like, all right, Burnout Paradise I can see because it kind of worked, and, you know, Burnout. Burnout's in a category all its own in terms of fun. So whatever, if they wanted to fucking fork the PlayStation Eye to make it work with the game, that's great. But other than that, the only other first-party title at the time was Eye of Judgment, and nobody promoted that. That's a fucking coaster. That's a, co- that's a coaster for somebody's 40-ounce. Are you kidding me? Ugh. Like, that's why I'm saying, like, I can understand the $100 bundle because they know that nobody was buying that eye camera otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, I agree with that. Yeah, you know, I, I respect, you know, I respect that you as a gamer, you know, you buy the shit and you, and you own it and that's great, but you know, we, we both played the move and, you know, it's fun and it has some cool shit and, you know, like, like the archery game is really kick-ass. I do like it, but... I don't know, man. Revolutionary? Not so much. The Kinect, though, is a fucking game changer, for sure. Yeah, but a lot, like, once again, you're going to have people breaking shit, just like you did when the Wii first came out. Oh, you're going to see some dyslexic motherfucker trip and fall face first into his fucking television. Because I'll tell you this, since it picks up your movement so well... You're going to see people trying to do really crazy shit. Like, you're going to see somebody doing the dancing game, and they're going to want to try and moonwalk or fucking, you know, like Ant was saying in the chat, do the Michael Jackson lean. Actually, I think it was Ark that said that. And stupid shit like that, they're going to fall and trip. And then they're going to be like, oh, I'm suing Microsoft because I fell and I bruised my fucking elbow and shit like that. It's funny that you mention that because just on a quick side note, when Ant and I were at a... At um, Comic Con, we passed by the the Wii booth where they had the Michael Jackson game. I have and video of that. No, I don't know if you saw the part that we're talking about though, because they were playing um, Smooth Criminal. Yep. I was like, but, I was like, it'd be really fucked up if they made them do the lean, and then the, well, game, you know made them, the game made them do the lean, and we well, just no, died I'll, laughing. I'll tell you what, when we were watching it, man, when me and Andrea were watching it. Uh, the demo was being played by the Frag Dolls, and the, there was one chick on the Frag Doll that was really feeling herself. She was really feeling like she was Michael Jackson. She was really feeling like she had a can of Jesus juice in her pocket, and she had the motions down to a science. She had fucking glasses on, and she's just really getting it in. And at one part, you know that you do the lean. And, you know, you, you don't have to lean completely, because there was definitely a couple of, uh, of big girls amongst them that were dancing, and I said, fuck, if this chick leans, she's going to fall through the floor. <laughs> but homegirl with the glasses, yo, she was getting it in. She was like, you know, she had the moves down packed, and we were laughing because we're like, wow, this chick is really feeling herself. And we got video of that. So th- definitely, I, I, didn't, I don't think that we kept the video going all the way through the lean, but I am going to watermark the video and try and put it up sometime this weekend because I need you guys to see this chick really feeling herself with the Michael Jackson game. And I'll tell you this, that game on, on the Kinect is going to happen. It's definitely not going to happen right away because obviously the Wii has dibs on it. But when that game drops on the, on the Kinect, that's when shit's going to get crazy. That's when people are going to end up in the hospital. Oh, yeah, you know, you know somebody's going to try and, 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 and you know, Say you know to be like, oh my God, there's bubbles and fucking fall out a window or some shit. 
it was it was it was definitely the Michael Jackson game is some fun shit. That's another game I would actually play and drop you know some money for the Wii on, you know uh, on on the on the Wii console. But again, you know fucking Sony trying to, to to tout that they're revolutionizing motion gaming is like Jenna Jameson trying to revolutionize hand jobs. The same shit. The same oh. shit. Everybody does it the fucking same. It's like stop. At least Microsoft did something different, you know? Whether it's successful or not, we'll find out after the holiday season. But while I have you on, I will tell you this. They will be releasing a dashboard update prior to the Kinect launch. And here's some of the stuff you can expect to see. And since you're, you know, since you play on live a lot, I want to get your opinion on this. You're going to get improved voice quality, which is going to, there's going to be an update to the audio codec, which is going to improve the Xbox Live party chat. So you'll be able to watch, you know, multiplayer games, sports events, movies, or, or do all three. You can also, um, they added an improved experience. You, that's what they put. In choosing your game, in changing your gamer tag. If the gamer tag you're looking for is already taken, your avatar will spin a wheel, and you'll get five or six gamer tag suggestions to choose from. In addition to that, you're getting a streamlined in-dash virtual keyboard which is going to be, you know, I, I guess they really don't want you to use the fucking chat pad anymore. In addition to that, you're getting an improved Xbox Live Marketplace user interface and browsing experience. You're going to get avatar changes where the avatars are going to be slightly more proportional, and the reason for that is because obviously, like I said, when you're merging that Kinect skeleton with your avatar, your avatar can be little and fucking pudgy. It has to look a little bit more lifelike. In addition right. to that, you're going to get improvements on trying to find wireless networks, you're also going to get the ability to sign out control, controllers in the sign-in interface, so you'll, you'll be able to sign out controllers for games like Rock Band. Last but not least, of course, you're going to get that ESPN update. You're going to get a Netflix search functionality and Zoom video. As for the, um, the improved audio codec, oh, yeah, that's great. So that means I can hear whining-ass kids talking about how they... Home me in Halo even be- even better now. I can hear that that high pitch, you know, even more clearly. As for the rest of the stuff, I mean, like you said, they're just trying to get ready for for um, Connect. So I I really can't fault them for it. If it if it improves the experience, I mean, we'll just have to wait and see. Can't really care about that whole selected the name shit because I've already done that and I'm not paying them to change my name. Right. So whether or not it actually Im- quote unquote improves the experience will be a wait and see type of thing. There you go. All right. I, I definitely agree. I think also, I pick your brain. Yeah, definitely, man. I also agree with you that Sony. I mean, I'm not faulting them either for trying, but they're definitely not um, revolutionizing anything because nope. it seems like lately all they're really doing with anything is copying Nintendo because not only with the, the PS Move, they got this game on the PSP that they're trying to move units with called Invisimals where you walk around with this PSP camera basically literally looking at nothing, because I've seen the commercial, and I guess you're trying to, you can't quite say it because that would be copyright infringement, but I guess you're trying to catch them all, because you're looking for these invisible monsters that you then battle with one another, and 
it's like you shake your camera to to do like thunder attacks and you blow on the screen to do like, uh, ice attacks and all kinds of shit like this and I'm like uh, I'm like I would call this game trying too hard to be Pokemon. I would really put that on the box. Ugh, fucking bootlegmon. Like, it's yeah, not even Digimon. It's like just literally trying too hard to be Pokemon. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, look, Sony, when you look at the PlayStation 3 and what they're doing, I, I, Sony's working hard to make your PlayStation 3 your media hub, especially with the Netflix announcement that you next, that's coming out next week where, you know, you'll be able to browse Netflix, you get 1080p and 1080i videos and 5.1 surround sound on all your streaming content from Netflix. Huge step in the right direction. I think that's definitely a grenade getting tossed at Microsoft because Microsoft had a re- has a really slick Netflix interface. Now Sony's like, now we got it better. We got HD. We got 5.1 sound. Sony's basically trying to make the, the, the PlayStation your central hub. I wouldn't doubt within the next three years, that, and it's already happening on Microsoft with Xbox 360 with AT&T U-verse, that you can watch cable and broadcast television through your console. I see it happening, but Sony, they're already working on it with the whole Google TV thing, which is something I, you know, I'll discuss in detail in the coming weeks. But I'll tell you this. If they're going that route, then they really need to go all in and stop ripping off other companies because all it's doing is making them look like, you know, Sony's late to the party, you know? It's, it's, like, it's like the girl who was out drinking and woke up and got to her graduation late. You know, she walks in and everybody stares at her. It's the same thing with fucking Sony. It's like, oh, look, it's the PlayStation Move. It's revolutionary. It's fucking this. It's that. It bakes you a cake. You look at it and you're like, oh, it's the fucking Wii. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a glowing dildo that, and, you know, and, and a glowing blue ball. Great. Fantastic. It is what it is, and we'll just have to see what they do with it. I mean, I I feel that Sony definitely definitely is going the right direction in terms of just a media center, but... Right. They are. They're doing a kick-ass job with that, dude, like turning it into a hub. I mean, Microsoft is too, you know, adding ESPN, adding all this other shit, Hulu Plus, you know, which is bound to happen sooner or later. All these advancements is just because consoles will pretty soon become your TiVo, your cable box, all that shit rolled into one. And you know what? I don't mind that. But on the same thing, it's like don't sacrifice the quality and and integrity of your products to do all this hokey shit. Like, yeah, like I said, the PlayStation Move is great and everybody's buying it, but how long will that nostalgia hold? You know, are people going to be wanting to play Resistance with Move controls in a year from now? They need a revolutionary IP that's going to, you know, maximize that peripheral. Otherwise, it's just going to be another fucking piece of shit accessory collecting dust. You know, like, like your Wii gun shell or your fucking Mario Kart steering wheel. Well, I'm sure they're going to try to do something with Resistance 3 and, you know, Killzone 3. And that that's their potential for, you know an IP that's working properly with the move, but even even if they optimize the games to work with the, the move and it turns out being great, I don't see it as, you know, the only way it would really be a game changer is if playing with 
a controller is is um not purposely but somehow winds up being a disadvantage. True. Uh, we'll see we'll see how it pans out in the coming weeks. Like how hardcore Street Fighter players will can't play well with a regular controller but, you know, they kick ass with a stick. If it's something like that, then I see, you know, the the move really picking up steam because, you know, the FPS market that that does well for both consoles. True. So if it's something like that, then I, I really see the, the move picking up steam if like Killzone three and and uh resistance three wind up working that much better with the, the, the move, which is possible because the move is probably the closest thing that the PS3 is going to get to having a mouse. Okay. And Fair enough. Any PC gamer will tell you that, you know, FPS works better with a mouse than, you know, using any kind of controller, which even though I, I've never really played, I, I'm not a PC gamer, I'll agree with that because of the sensitivity and, you know, just the freedom. So the move has a chance on that, and only on that um, that standpoint. Well, we'll see how it pans out, bro. That, that's all I can say. I mean, you know, we can sit here and fucking talk about the the ins and outs and the greatness of each fucking thing. The way I see it is, it's two hundred and you know over a hundred, well plus hundred dollar accessories that are going to, you know, either be really successful or they're just going to be collecting dust on the fucking shelves after the holidays. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, like, I, I saw the game. I saw you play the game on Connect, but I'm not quite sure how the Connect would work with, like, an FPS, for example, and, you know, Microsoft lives off of FPSs. Well, that's something we'll have to fucking look forward to after the holidays. Because I think for the, you know, for for November and December, you're just gonna see casual shit first. Yeah, and that's that's the one thing that Sony already does have a leg up on, is that, you know, since E3, Connect has only been shown with basically shovelware. And True. The biggest thing they ever showed was fucking Milo, and they claim that Milo's still in production, but, you know, there's no word on that shit. And at least with the move, there are solid plans to to um try to include the hardcore gamer. True. I mean, the way I see it is they might, they might do that, but, you know, who knows? I mean, at the end of the day... It, it can be, you know, the hardcore gamer is definitely a, a factor in that, but, at, you know, at what cost is it for the, for the hardcore gamer? Is it something where they're going to want to sit there and, and, you know, they're going to want to play every game with motion control? Probably not. I think that the casual market is a market that needs to be embraced because it's quick, easy access. You hop in, you get a game, and, you know, it allows the games to have some sort of longevity. I mean, it's happened with Wii Fit already, you know, where the game is super popular and people play it forever. And, you know, you put out an update and it's 20 bucks, and people don't feel too bad about purchasing it. It's the longevity after the accessory that matters. The, you know, the, 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 the 500 units that get sold in the first week, that's great. But those motherfuckers may never buy a game after that. True. 
That's it. Anything else, my friend? No, I'm good for games right now, man. All right, man. Let me wrap this up and we can hit these movies because, boy, are there some gems this week. I believe it. Okay, right, brother. Few. Later. All right. Let's go through a couple of other things. For those of you that are fans of the Darkness game, which, you know, came and went, uh, they are working on a sequel for it. According to Joystick, Top Cow Sales and Marketing Team is working on a proposed sequel. There's just some rights issues that need to be cleared up before moving ahead with the Darkness 2. So definitely keep an eye out on Top Cow's website for that in the near future. And, of course, MyTakeRadio.com will announce if they do a second Darkness game. And some, uh, some of the announcements at Comic-Con that were made were fucking fantastic for the gaming, for the gaming world. Um, one of them in particular was the X-Men arcade game from 1992 will be available on Xbox Live and the PlayStation Network. You'll be able to play a Cyclops, Colossus, Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, or Dazzler as you try and save Professor X and Kitty Pride. You're going to be able to get six-player drop-in online co-op with varying difficulty levels. They haven't given a release date yet, but there is a trailer available for it, and I will be posting it online. Um, one of the things I really liked, the X-Men arcade game was really fun. That was during that one time where they really had a large amount of great beat-em-ups. You had the Simpsons game, which was a fucking perennial favorite that took thousands of fucking quarters for me. You had the X-Men game, and one of my favorites that I really hope they put on the uh, Xbox Live or PlayStation Network was the Spider-Man arcade game where you would actually play as a, either Spider-Man, Black Cat, or Hawkeye, and at points throughout the game you would fight Venom and he'd become a giant Venom that would take up the whole screen. Um, definitely something really awesome if they did that, so I'm really hoping we can see that in the near future. Um, the X-Men arcade game, I'm more than sure we'll probably see it in 2011. Of course, you know it's going to get the HD treatment, so definitely keep an eye out for that. Of course, this month we're celebrating 25 years of Super Mario. For those of you that are huge Mario fans, there is a special edition Red Wii that will be released on the 29th, which comes with new Super Mario Brothers, as well as a Red Wii Mote, um, Red Nunchuck, and three games, including uh, the Wii Sports Bundle and a pre-installed version of Donkey Kong. Unfortunately... You're not going to be able to pick that up if you're in the U.S. You're either going to have to import it, or for those of you that are in the U.K., you will have exclusive access to the Red Wii on October 29th. Moving on, of course, they're also celebrating the 10th anniversary of Pokemon Gold and Silver. Slick posted an article on MyTakeRadio.com about some of the stuff that you can expect. One of the things you will be able to pick up is the Pokemon Mew for either Pokemon Heart Gold or Soul Silver. You can receive Mew using the mystery gift option via the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection service. Of course, you'll have to acquire the Pokedex in the game and have fewer than three Wonder Cards. Once you meet those qualifications, you can receive the level 5 Mew, which comes with the Pound Attack. In addition to receiving Mew, you'll also acquire a Cherish Ball, complete with a Premier Ribbon, both of which indicate that you receive Mew during this special event. But you've got to get out there and get it quick because it expires October 30th. For my fellow wrestling fans and gamers, for those of you that pre-ordered SmackDown vs. Raw 2011 and want a little bit of downloadable content for free, you can pick up the Fan Access Pack, which doesn't really mean shit is free, but 
check this out. For 999 or 800 Microsoft points, you'll get access to what's called the Fan Access. With that, you'll be getting access to all the downloadable upcoming content for the game for free. The first downloadable content pack is going to be the British Bulldog, Lex Luger, Wade Barrett, David Atunga, Justin Gabriel, and Layla. In addition to that, you'll get new outfits for Shawn Michaels and Shad Gaspard. You'll also get an NXT ring, and that pack by itself is going to cost $6.99. The second pack, you're going to get alternate outfits for John Cena, The Undertaker, CM Punk, and the WCW ring. That pack will run you $3. In addition to that, the access pack will give you access to the WWE Superstar Attribute Customizer and instant access to all unlockables, which can normally be bought for $0.99. Cents. So for 10 bucks, you'd get all that stuff that would normally run you 12 bucks, And plus, you'll get access to all the downloadable content in the game in the near future. So, you know, you can solidify that with a, with a $10 investment and get access to all these wrestlers or just buy the stuff a la carte and pay the price. I think for 9 bucks or for 800 Microsoft points and the potential to get access to all that downloadable content, I think it's a wise investment. I mean, wrestling games don't really have a lot of longevity just because they don't really do roster updates, and a lot of the stuff you got to do, you got to create... Um, you got to create the wrestlers yourselves to get some of those wrestlers you really like. But, you know, I think I would actually get it just to get access to, you know, Wade Barrett, Otunga, Justin Gabriel, definitely... Um, Lex Luger's a cool throwback and British Bulldog as well. Of course, I'd create the Dynamite Kid and recreate the British Bulldogs, and I'd, recre- and I'd create Sting to tag with Lex Luger, but that's just me. Again, you can pick that up for $9.99 or 800 points. Gran Turismo 5, a.k.a. 60 bucks to drive around in a circle. Gran Turismo 5 has been delayed. Wow, what a shocker that is. With Sony saying that the franchise will miss the Ide November release date, the game is scheduled for a November 2nd release in the States and a November 5th UK release. Here's, what was, here's the statement that was released. We sincerely apologize to Gran Turismo fans for the delays explained on the official U.S. PlayStation blog. However, creator Kazunori Yamauchi and the team of Polyphony Digital want to make certain that they are creating the perfect racing experience and we are confident that this ambitious game will exceed expectations when it launches. Sony says the delay is global, with the European office hoping that a new date can be announced within the month and that the game should still be seeing release before Christmas. Really, how much more work can you put into licensed cars driving around? Are you, are, are you adding more fucking palm trees? Maybe some sand. How about that? You know, I, 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 I love racing games. They're fun. They're enjoyable. I just think Gran Turismo takes itself way too fucking seriously. I understand it's a driving simulator, and it's supposed to simulate driving. But you know what? If I wanted to simulate driving, I'd actually drive. Racing games are a fun um, escape from reality. You can road rage, crash cars, blow shit up get chased by cops, you know, all those things we want to do in real life that we can't. I just don't see the allure in Gran Turismo. It's like, yeah, I get to drive around in a Mustang or a, four, or, or a GT or shit like that. Who gives a fuck? You're just driving around doing bullshit. I, I'm sure that the Gran Turismo fans are going to give me shit, but I, I just don't see... 
the, 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 the jizz-in-your-pants loyalty to this fucking game. It's always delayed. And then when it finally comes out, it's like, oh, look, you can drive in a Porsche. And you can look at beautiful landscapes in the Swiss house. Fuck you, and fuck Gran Turismo 2. Dead Space 2, PlayStation 3 Collector's Edition. Uh, it, it was a no-brainer, wasn't it? With that, you're going to get Dead Space Extraction, but not, not to mention Xbox 360 and PC Collector Editions were also announced. Currently announced only for the UK, these editions of the game come with a soundtrack CD, downloadable content voucher, and artwork. But in addition to that, you're going to get a life-size plasma lift cutter. Well, you're going to get a life-size plasma cutter, sorry. No word if that edition is going to make it to the U.S. or how much it's going to cost when it's released. So Dead Space UK Special Edition, life-size plasma cutter. I don't know if, if, you know, if anybody gives a shit about it, but I think that's a pretty kick-ass giveaway. Netflix and Gamefly have some more competition from Redbox. It seems that Redbox kiosks, which I actually saw that starting today, are going to be allowing video game rentals as well. The Redbox website has a growing list of games available for the 360, PS3, PS2, Nintendo Wii, the Nintendo DS, and the games are going to run you two bucks a night to rent. Redbox started testing video games in August 2009, and they're going to be introducing it to the rest of the region. Kiosks in the West, Midwest, and the Atlantic Coast have already been receiving the video game rental service. Redbox is, is really interesting just because it's, it's such a hit-and-miss scenario. I think that with proper placement, it's definitely really good for instant gratification. If you don't want to wait for your title to come in the mail from Gamefly or from Netflix, two bucks a night, I mean, it's going to add up. I think that for, for those you know, single-serving games that you can plow through in a couple of hours, I think maybe for a weekend, even if you spend $4, say you rent a game Saturday and Sunday, and you know you can finish the game in 16 hours or 20 hours. For 4 bucks, not bad. That's just the way it is. I think that, that Redbox is on to something. Their model is a little sketchy. Like I said, placement is key. I mean, usually I see them do really well in, like, stop and shop in certain supermarkets. Um, whether it has longevity or not, I really see motherfuckers renting the games and not returning them. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, you have to swipe it in with a credit card or a debit card. But... How much can they really charge you? I mean, are they going to charge you, what, 40 bucks for the game? You get a game for 40 bucks. I mean, I, I don't know. I've always been really iffy with the Redbox rental service. I mean, maybe one day I'll just try it out to see how it works and, you know, write my, write my opinion on it. But, I mean, it, I guess it's great. It, I, it's another way for people to get access to games that don't have 60 bucks to plunk down for every title. You know, even if you spend, you know, $10 and you play the game for a few days, not so bad. So definitely props to Redbox for trying something new. Tired of playing Halo Reach? I know a lot of people are already and are playing that Medal of Honor, but guess what? November 30th, you get a brand new map pack, the Noble map pack. The map pack will include three maps with 250 gamer score points worth of achievements. You're going to get Tempest, Anchor 9, and Breakpoint. Tempest is an abandoned shoreline facility with two symmetrical bases. It's going to support between 8 and 16 players in a variety of matchmaking modes. Anchor 9 is a USNC refueling site. You're going to get lots of close quarter combat, and uh, the map will be only for 2 to 8 players. 
Last but not least, great point will be a dig site, and it's going to be mostly used for invasion and big team battle variants. The map pack is going to run you 800 points. In some Dragon Age 2 news, any of you guys that have pre-ordered Dragon Age 2 before this January 11, 2011, will automatically be upgraded to the BioWare Signature Edition. This, this edition is going to come with $20 worth of bonus content, including a downloadable code for an extra playable character, along with missions for that character. In addition to that, you're going to get an armory with weapons and items and a downloadable sand, soundtrack. You can pre-order that on GameStop's website, Amazon, EB, or the EA Store. Let's talk a little bit about MPD news. Usually every month, you know, I, I, I chime in and talk about the hardware numbers and the software numbers for the respective consoles based on the MPD report. It seems that MPD has decided that they will no longer put out public numbers for hardware that was sold. So effective immediately, no more hardware numbers from the MPD. The only thing that I did get was some Xbox 360 numbers, and they were actually put on Twitter. The Xbox 360 was the number one selling console for the month of September with 483,989 units sold. The MPD does report that 383 million total hardware sales are down from 19% year to year. In addition to that, they did put out what were the top selling games without any numbers. Halo Reach, of course, was number one. Madden 11 or Roster Update 11 was number two. Dead Rising 2 was number three. NHL 11 was four. FIFA Soccer 11 was five. Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep for the PSP was in there. As was Mafia 2, Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, Metroid Other M, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare still holding on. I think that the MPD numbers were, were really great, and they really had a good gauge as to what's selling. Yeah, don't get me wrong, it was filled with like seven different Mario titles, but at least you had some concrete numbers to go by, and you got to see why titles like Call of Duty were, were outselling, you know, games like fucking Mario, and then Mario would come in the next month and just smash Call of Duty. It, it was re really a great eye-opener for the industry. I mean, I find it highly unfortunate that they're going to, you know, not put those numbers out there for the public, but it is what it is, man. It just, it just sucks. I think that one of the things that they were trying, that they were tired of hearing was uh, console manufacturers, you know, fucking stroking themselves at the fact that they sold more consoles this month than last month and shit like that. That may be part of the reason. I mean, if I get new information, I will definitely let you guys know about it, and I'll try and get as much MPD information as I can from month to month. But as of right now, no more public access for MPD numbers. Last bit of video game news I wanted to discuss. For those of you using the PlayStation Network starting this Saturday, you'll be entitled to one free movie rental as part of its Midnight Movies promotion. But there's a catch. You're going to need to sign on to the PSN between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. This weekend's movie is going to be Bram Stoker's Dracula. So if you're bored and you're up, and you're up late playing some games on Saturday night, you get a free movie download. According to Sony, here's how it goes. Halloween is here. This is what Sony put out. This week, you can find your favorite monsters, zombies, and bloodthirsty creatures all in one place. Get incredible discounts on monster movies like Let the Right One In, Dawn of the Dead, The Fog, and many more. Plus, you can rent Bram Stoker's Dracula for free when you visit the Halloween Horror Flicks collection on the PlayStation Store. 
Saturday 10-16 from 5 p.m. through 3 a.m. on October 17th. I think it's definitely cool they want to do that. It doesn't really apply to me because I got fucking Netflix. So, you know, I could just watch the mo- stream the movies or, you know, dip into my collection of horror flicks that I got on the side, which is what I will probably be doing on Halloween. And, of course, the last bit of news, which is what's something that I had discussed with Slick, the PlayStation 3, of course, will be getting the Netflix update next week with uh, high-def movie streaming and 5.1 surround sound. The new app is going to be available in the crossbar under a new Netflix icon starting on Monday. Of course, you're going to need to sign in with your network account, and, you know, of course, the Netflix account will be required. You're going to get TV shows as well available in 1080i resolution for those of you that have HD TVs, and starting playback will be improved. In addition to that, certain movies and TV shows will have viewable subtitles and alternate audio tracks. That's going to wrap up the game news for this week. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, movie news right after this. I wonder what's on tonight even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you save me? This is the deal of the century, people. I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight tumbling with Tumbleweed Tuesday nights at 10 p.m.? BlogTalkRadio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? All right, let's crack open these movie news. First off, the trailer for the Green Lantern flick will be debuting prior to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, which opens November 19th. Uh, DC Chief Creative Officer Jeff Johns announced a plan at Comic-Con. Green Lantern will be opening June 17th, 2011. Let's start with, with our really fucked up news to start things off. 20th Century Fox and Walden Media have acquired the rights to the single-panel comic strip, The Family Circus. Drawn for years by Bill Keen, the strip will become a film to be produced by John Baldecci, known for doing Ultraviolet and Simon Birch, and Stacey Mays, who did Jumper. Wow, great Oscar-winning films there. The studio apparently views the property as a multiple-quadrant family franchise. So let me get this straight. Is this the new thing now? Comic strips? What's next? A fucking Kathy movie with fucking Rosie O'Donnell playing Kathy? How about that? How about a a Curtis movie or a Beetle Bailey flick? I got an idea. Why don't you make a Beetle Bailey movie with Zach Galifianakis as the general and fucking McLovin as Beetle Bailey? Why not? Why why not? Hollywood is running out of ideas. Let's make a fucking uh, 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 multiple movies about the family circus. Yeah, Strider, Boondocks was a great show. Would it make a great movie? Yeah. Boondocks is the only fucking exception. And even Boondocks, I don't don't even think that that would fucking translate well to screen, just because I like watching Boondocks week to week and not in one single helping. And usually movies are the swan song for fucking TV series, so let's keep Boondocks on TV. Thank you very much. I'll tell you this, though. They're reaching... Hollywood is definitely reaching. Oh, let's do the family circus. Might work. Definitely for for some family-friendly fare, might work. But how much story are you getting from a comic strip that has one fucking circle every Sunday? 
and it's like the fucking kid punching his sister in the eye, and then there's like a car on the floor, and the father's like, what happened? And that's the end of the fucking strip till next week. What the fuck is that? How's that going to translate to screen? One fucking bubble. It's like a circle in the corner of my Sunday paper. Ma, he did it. And it's like some bullshit. Ugh. In some video game news, David O. Russell, who did Three Kings, will write and direct Uncharted, Drake's Fortune, based on the PS3 games. The Columbia Pictures film will be produced by Avi Arad, who did Spider-Man, and Charles Roven, who did The Dark Knight. The story, of course, is going to follow the adventures of treasure hunter Nathan Drake. Nathan Fillion, of course, who did uh, the voice of Nathan Drake and is also on Serenity, actually launched a Twitter campaign uh, for his campaign to play Nathan Drake in the movie. So if you're on Twitter, definitely look up Nathan Fillion and retweet his posts so that he can play Nathan Drake in an Uncharted movie. Definitely uh, a cool thing to do, considering that he is the voice of Nathan Drake. Uh, it is what it is. I definitely would like to see it just because it, it, it has that Tomb Raider vibe to it, and if done right, it could definitely be a successful franchise. It, even on Pirates of the Caribbean levels, if, if done correctly, and definitely with a good enough budget. Let's talk some box office numbers. Facebook continues to fistfuck the box office this week. Film $15.5 million. It had a 30% drop. Still at number one, though. Grossed $46.1 million on a $50 million budget. Critically acclaimed, well-written, regarded as one of the best movies to come out in recent memory. Definitely interesting to see the social network, you know, get such high praise, especially considering what the subject matter is based on. Uh, number two, Life as We Know It was number two which I can't believe because Katherine Heigl is the equivalent of fucking movie cancer. Every movie she's in needs fucking chemo because she's a fucking tumor on any franchise she's involved in. She fucking stinks, and I don't like her. Katherine Heigl sucks. And fucking Tad Hamilton should stick to only doing Transformer movies because all these romantic comedies that he's in, they always suck too. The horse drama, Secretariat, a.k.a. Low-grade Seabiscuit. Opened in at number three, $12.6 million. Film had a budget of $35 million. Legends of the Guardian with the Stupid Owls was number four. $39.4 million after two weeks, $50.6 million worldwide on an $80 million budget. My, Wes Craven's My Soul to Take opened at number five, $6.9 million. Film had a budget of $25 million. I actually want to see that movie. It looks, the premise looks interesting. It's in 3D, which I'm not a fan of, but it is what it is. The Town dropped to number six, $6.4 million. The Town has made 73.8 and a total of 86.9 worldwide on a $37 million budget. I guess movies about Boston are pretty popular, especially Affleck seems to have found his niche with this particular movie. Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, number seven, $4.6 million. Movies gross 43.7, 66.8 worldwide, $70 million budget. Easy A dropped to number eight, $4.2 million total, $48.1 million in the U.S., $51.9 worldwide on an $8 million budget. I would guarantee that that's successful. 
K39 dropped to number nine, 2.6 million. That's a 51% drop in its second week. It grows 9.6 domestically, 24.5 worldwide on a $26 million budget. You again dropped to number 10, grows 2.4 million. The comedy is made 20.7 off a $20 million budget. In some, in some Jason Bourne news, uh, writer and director Tony Gilroy actually discussed the next Bourne movie, The Bourne Legacy, revealing some details. The film is actually borrowing the title from an Eric Von Lustbader book, which was based on the series created by Robert Ludlum, but it's only Jason Bourne in title and not in story. The director and writer went on to say that this is not a reboot or a recast or a prequel. So what the fuck is it? No one's replacing Matt Damon. This will be a whole new hero and a whole new chapter. This is a standalone project. The easiest way to think of it is an expansion. Jason Bourne will not be in this film, but he's very much alive. What happened in the first three films is the trigger for what happens in this film. I'm building a legend and an environment and a wider conspiracy. The world we're making enhances and advances and invites Jason Bourne's return down the road. A.K.A. Let's fucking squeeze some more money out of the Bourne franchise. Ugh. And yes, Dark Helmet, Jackass 3D being number one with fucking $50 million will be absurd, but given the demographic it's catering to, I won't be surprised. DreamWorks announced that they will continue to rape the How to Train Your Dragon franchise by creating a How to Train Your Dragon sequel. Not only that, but DreamWorks also signed a deal with the Cartoon Network for a weekly television series based on the hit show. This announcement, of course coincides with the film sequel that is being produced. Both the film and the series are expected to come out in 2012. I guess DreamWorks had to figure out something to do now that the Shrek movies are fucking starting to wear thin. Eh, how to train your dragon. Let's crank them out. Fuck it. Here's a good one. Amy Pascal, co-chair of Sony Pictures Entertainment, and Matt Polmock, president of Columbia, announced today that Reese Eifens, I guess I'm pronouncing his name right, or Reese Iffins. Either way, I'm fucking this guy's name up. Known for Vanity Fair, Rancid Aluminum, Little Nicky, and The Replacements, has been cast as a villain in the upcoming Spider-Man reboot. Needless to say, later on in the week, it was revealed that he would be playing the character of the Lizard, which, of course, was originally played by Dylan Baker. Dr. Kurt Connors' character, of course, appeared in numerous Spider-Man movies, all the way up to the third one. Re-siphons, Iffins, Pokemon, whatever the fuck you want to call this guy. Typical English dude. I, I see them just a trend with the English guys for this franchise. No harm in that. It, it's really how the lizard looks that's of interest to me. The way I see it is, you know, anybody can play Kirk Connors and you can play the tortured Jekyll and Hyde guy. It's the lizard and the special effects that go into creating his character that I am going to be keeping an eye on for sure. The big bit of news on the web this week, the car crash in Washington, D.C., where a police car drove through the Transformers set and collided with the Bumblebee car. Oh, no! D.C. police report that the car was part of the Explosives Ordnance Division and was responding to a bomb scare. Really? A bomb scare? Like Michael Bay blowing shit up? That kind of a bomb scare? The driving, the driving officer was taken to a nearby hospital. I don't understand why this was such big news. I can understand if there was like one Bumblebee car, just one, one in existence that's only brought out for these movies. If there was just one 
that was perfectly created to play Bumblebee in the Transformers movie. It is one of probably 50 fucking cars. Who gives a shit? The fact that 20,000 movie blogs were like, oh my God, Bumblebee got crashed into. Whoa, his knee. It's like, who gives a shit? It's a fucking canary yellow car. It's not a person. No one gives a fuck. Had you told me the guy fucking ran the light and hit fucking Shia, and he's like in intensive care, then I'd be like, oh, fuck, Michael Bay has a problem. It is a car. Who cares? Who gives a shit that it's on like 20 different front pages of fucking movie blogs? I'm only reporting on it because I felt it was fucking stupid. This is a fucking blip. I, besides the fact that the movie is supposed to be called Transformers, the Dark Side of the Moon, or the some shit is beyond me. Nonetheless, that was the big piece of news that was on fucking TMZ, and they got video of the fucking cop car crashing into Bumblebee. It's like, all right, I get it. You know, the cop is in the hospital. That sucks, of course. But it's a fucking car. Everybody's like, oh, my God, why? Bumblebee's dead. It's like, it's like, motherfucker, go to a GM lot and pick up another one. Who cares? It's not like it's fucking Kit from Knight Rider, the original one, that they were using for a stunt that the cop car fucking crashed into. It's a fucking canary yellow Camaro, which I can see parked on any street in New York on any given day with the same racing stripes. Some assholes actually paid the three or four grand for the Autobot fucking kit, which I've seen. And you mean to tell me that that's news? Ugh, fucking movie blogs. That's why I don't call myself a journalist. Because I can shit on, on stuff like this with, with much pleasure because people are all up in arms about a fucking car getting crashed into. What a load of shit. Fucking Hollywood. Assholes. Boo! Moving on. Here's, a, here's another nugget of Hollywood goodness for you guys. Fox has picked up the rights to an animated series about Napoleon Dynamite. How long has it been since that movie came out? Nobody cares about fucking Pedro or the horse or fucking his brother and the black chick. No one cares. Seems that Fox does, though. They picked up a, a small six-episode block. The original cast will voice the animated series. The film writers Jared Hess, Jerusha Hess, and Mike Scully are executive producing. So definitely something to look forward to if you're a fan of Napoleon Dynamite. I could honestly not give a shit about that either fucking Napoleon Dynamite. It's fucking, it's fucking John Heater and Waffles. That's what that is. Waffles, are you going to be voicing Pedro this season? I need to know. I love you, Waffles. You're a good fucker. You're a great fan. I'm just breaking your balls. Anyway, in some DC movie news, there are rumors running rampant about who will be playing The Flash. Of course, originally, everybody thought that Ryan Reynolds was going to be playing The Flash, but of course he is playing Green Lantern. So, what other Hollywood heartthrob would, should be playing The Flash? Get this, MovieHole, what a name for a site, MovieHole is reporting that Bradley Cooper could play The Flash. 
Oh, man. I don't know, man. Bradley Cooper kind of works. I mean, he's a smarmy prick as the Flash, so it might work. I mean, Bradley Cooper really is the low-budget Ryan Reynolds. When they want a guy who's built decently and is in good shape, has a dreamy smile, and Ryan Reynolds is busy, Bradley Cooper gets the call. I'm sorry. That's how it is. Bradley Cooper is, you know, Ryan Reynolds' fucking redheaded stepchild. It's like, oh, Ryan Reynolds is busy. Ah, fuck it, Bradley Cooper. Let's bring him in. Fuck it. Let's go. It, it, you know, Bradley Cooper, I can see him working as the Flash. The only thing is that he always tries to play the smarmy prick a little too hard. So I don't know if that's going to translate well with a character like the Flash, but hey, you know. I'll use a wait-and-see approach. Josh Whedon's Dollhouse, remember that show? Got canceled after two seasons. Much like Buffy and Angel, will live on in comic form. At the New York Comic Con, Dark Horse announced that there is, this is something that Josh had gone back and forth on at different times. It started with us doing a small story to be inserted into the Dollhouse Season 2 DVD, and that got the ball rolling. We will do a one-shot in April and a miniseries after that. Jed Whedon and Marissa uh, Tancheronin, both writers on the show, will be writing stories for the book. A little bit of Alien prequel news. According to the Vulture blog, Natalie Portman is under consideration for the lead role in the Alien prequel. Also up for the role is Numi Rapace, who is supposed to be in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. The female lead will play the role of a Colonel Marine General. Uh, Damon Lindelof turned in his latest draft of the screenplay, which is reportedly aimed at a PG-13 audience, which guarantees this movie will fucking fail. The emphasis will be more on horror than violence, and no predators are going to be appearing in this film. If you want to put emphasis on a horror movie, you fucking Hollywood shit dicks, don't you think it should have an R rating? Every Alien movie I've seen, from Alien to Aliens 2 to fucking Aliens 3 to fucking Aliens vs. Predator, Predators, Predator, fucking Predator in the Hood, Walk with the Predators. All of them have been R-rated, period. It helps add some, some genuine fear to the story. The Alien movies, yeah, they thrive on the psychological, and oh my God, did you see that shadow move? And that's great and all, but I want to see motherfuckers get acid on their face, and I want to see a second set of alien teeth go through somebody's head. That's what I want to see. I need that. And you're going to go with the PG-13 rating? Seriously? Way to pussy out, Hollywood, yet again. Natalie Portman might work, definitely. I mean, I, you know, Natalie Portman is a mixed bag. She, she really surprised me in V for Vendetta, and the character she played in V for Vendetta is, is the perfect type of character that I can see being played in the Alien series. So, not against her casting at all. I am against the fact that they're going to go with a fucking PG-13 rating. It's absurd. It really is. Here's, here's something that's going to make a lot of you guys do a double take. Of course, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, like you know, is being split into two parts. Part one, of course, will be out in November, and part two will be out shortly after that. But part two of the Deathly Hallows will be the only Harry Potter film to get a 3D theatrical one. Uh, run, sorry. But here's, here's some ass-backwards logic. Warner Brothers is working to convert both Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix 
and Harry Potter and the, Had- and the Half-Blood Prince to Blu-ray. Mind you, they're hiring the company that converted Clash of the Titans to 3D. Now, you and I both know that Clash of the Titans in 3D was utter shit. The company Prime Focus is going to reportedly be doing it, and they're going to be taking their time, and they're going to remaster existing fucking Harry Potter flicks to 3D. Why? Why, why even bother? It's fucking absurd. It really is a silly and piss-poor fucking idea that you want to go that route. Oh, we're going to go backwards, and we're going to make the other films in 3D, because, you know, 3D, 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 it's the way to be. Total fucking bullshit, definitely. And it's just going to be more double-dipping from Warner Brothers. What about the people that already own these flicks? Do they really need to be in 3D? Especially because the films weren't, the films weren't made with 3D in mind. They're going to look like shit, much like Clash of the Titans did. Fucking piss-poor and stupid. Of course, the other big uh, superhero movie story is that Tom Hardy from Inception will be reteaming with Christopher Nolan in Batman 3. Everybody says that his role is a big secret, but as of right now, everybody's saying that he will probably be playing Killer Croc. I honestly, we were discussing this on Twitter, and I've discussed it with a couple of other people. Um, Tom Hardy's character would be cool, but he would make a really good Mr. Zazz. Mr. Zazz is a serial killer and from, from the Batman stories that would really work well. In, in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. I think that Mr. Zaz is a great character. Not to take anything from Killer Croc, but I definitely think as a secondary villain, I think that the, you can definitely go with the Riddler or Catwoman is a primary villain. But Mr. Zaz would definitely add that fucking that punch to, to, the, um, to the Dark Knight stories, especially because he's a serial killer. You can use him throughout the movie just as a secondary character. Like I said, he has no real superpowers. But in terms of psychological... Uh, warfare with Batman and just trying to keep people from getting killed. He really works well. It adds a little bit of that seven-ish quality to the Dark Knight franchise. I doubt it'll happen, but I really like Mr. Zaz. I think that he would work in a Batman movie, not as a main villain, but definitely as a secondary character. Um, Killer Croc, special effects are are always a a mixed bag, but after seeing what they did with Two-Face, I can't even shit on the premise. Because Two-Face in, in, in The Dark Knight looked fantastic and really captured the essence of, of your face being burned by acid. Very well done. So I'm not shitting on it. We'll see what happens and what announcements get made in the coming weeks. And, of course, you know, I'll be reporting them here on My Take Radio, as always. In some Superman news, Zack Snyder was asked about the possibility of Zod being a villain in the Superman reboot. He responded with saying, for now, it's just a rumor. He, when asked about how he would do the character justice, he said, I'm not sure. With what I've done before, it wasn't like a run race that would have been easier to do. I wanted to do my best to describe this character and this world. Superman needs to be relevant again without disrespecting his mythology. That's my goal. I have to admit, that's what I like to hear. After seeing 300 and Watchmen, I have hope that this Superman movie will not totally suck. So... Definitely going to be watching this with much interest. I mean, a lot of people are like, ah, oh, Zack Snyder, blah, 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 but I think it'll work, man. I think it'll work. Just, just give it some time, folks. Give it some time. Eddie Murphy, who I haven't talked about in ages. It's Eddie Murphy in Eddie Murphy. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Eddie Murphy 
is doing a movie with Ben Stiller. But here's a, here's a wonderful combination. Eddie Murphy, Ben Stiller, and Brett Ratner. Doesn't that make you excited? Eddie Murphy, Ben Stiller, and Brett Ratner are working on a caper comedy called The Tower Heist. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Eddie Murphy will play a safecracker opposite Stiller as a residence manager who organizes a crew of his fellow disgruntled employees to rip off a high-rise penthouse of a Wall Street white-collar criminal who's going to be played by Alan Alda. Apparently, Murphy's safecracker may or may not betray Stiller and his gang. The film has been in, pro- in process and in talks for many years, and it was supposed to originally star Eddie Murphy and Chris Rock. <sighs> if it's an R-rated comedy, maybe it might be good. Really? But it's fucking, it's Eddie, it's, it's Eddie Murphy and Ben Stiller. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Ben Stiller is not that fucking funny, especially as a leading man. Not funny. Oh, don't tell me about fucking Zoolander, because you know how I feel about Zoolander. And don't even break out, oh, well, he was good at Meet the Parents. Meet the Parents was a steaming, festering pile of shit. So, no. And you're putting him with, with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy hasn't been relevant since fucking Beverly Hills Cop. And don't you dare, any of you, say that, he, that Norbit was good. Norbit was bullshit, too. Oh, good call, Rich. Fucking Strider. Strider puts that... He puts, Ben Stiller hasn't been funny since There's Something About Mary. Yes. And even then, he had an ensemble cast of characters to take away from his fucking hacky-ass comedy. Oh, fuck you, Dark Helmet. In, In the most lovingest of ways. Dark Helmet in our chat room says that Ben Stiller was good in The Night at the Museum. Really? Tom Hanks was good as an AIDS patient as an AIDS patient in Philadelphia. Really? It's not. At, let, let me tell you something. Ben Stiller was good in a night at the museum because his fucking job, if he wasn't an actor, would probably be as a guard in a fucking museum. Period. Fuck that. I mean, Brett Ratner's another one. He's he's a guy I tend to shit on. He's like he's like poor Michael Bay. That he's you know he's that he's the equivalent of that. So. It's like, oh, we couldn't get Michael Bay. Ah, we'll do Brett Ratner. It's just the way it is. And if Eddie Murphy comes back and he's in true R-rated, hilarious form, a la Beverly Hills Cop, you know, a la fucking 48 Hours, then maybe. But if he comes in with fucking, I'm going to wear a fat suit. If I see Eddie Murphy in a goddamn fat suit in this movie, I swear I'm going to drive to Hollywood, drag Charlie Murphy out of his house, Take Charlie Murphy with me to find Eddie and proceed to step on Eddie Murphy like Rick James stepped on their couch. Really. Because Eddie Murphy's so talented, so awesome, so full of of, of fucking comedic genius. But he's got to go with the easy paychecks. Fucking Norbit. Fucking Pluto Nash. Fucking Meet Dave. uh, The Clumps. What's that other shit he did with with the green gel? Um, what the fuck? Not, not, was it with the green gel? No, uh, fucking Dr. Doolittle. He, he does all these safe roles for the easy paydays, and that's fine. You know, I understand. You got to get the easy money, too. But come on, man. Remember where the fuck you came from? Eddie Murphy Raw was one of the most influential movies I had seen growing up that made me really enjoy comedy. I mean, Richard Pryor definitely got the ball rolling, but Eddie Murphy in Raw... 
fantastic. Axel Foley, Beverly Hills Cop 1, fucking banana in the tailpipe, making fun of Billy Rosewood. That's the shit, man. That, that was Eddie Murphy at his best. And then he just fucking went on this whole, I'm just going to get a payday and make Disney movies till my fucking eyes fall out. And Ben Stiller, I can't. I can't. I need a fucking drink of water just, just to fucking stomach Brett Ratner, Stiller, and Murphy in one sentence. Moving on. Here's, here's a couple of remaining tidbits of movie news in the last 30 minutes of show that are going to fucking blow your mind. First off, Vulture reports that Paramount is putting together a deal for Jerry Bruckheimer to produce a film with Christopher McQuarrie, who is writing a script. Do you know what film that is? Top Gun 2. I'm not even kidding with you. Top Gun 2. The reports say that McQuarrie has found a way to incorporate Maverick and that Tom Cruise has agreed to take on a smaller role in the film. Ugh, really? What's next? Fucking, you're going to get, uh, what's his name? You're going to get Bradley Cooper to play the new Maverick? Why don't you just go that route? Bradley Cooper is the new Maverick, and you get, um, how about this? Bradley Cooper is the new Maverick, and then to play the part of Val Kilmer, you get Ryan Reynolds. It's a fucking win-win. And then to play Goose, you get some dorky-ass guy like McLovin or Zach Galifianakis. Why not? He's in fucking everything else. So you get fat-ass Zach Galifianakis in a jet with Bradley Cooper with Danger Zone playing and Tom Cruise saying, Maverick, pull out! Pull out, Maverick! Oh, my God! It, it has fucking box office gold written all over it. How can you not be excited for Top Gun 2? Holy shit! Yes! Yes! But it gets better. It gets better. Obviously, for the last few weeks, I've discussed Men in Black 3. And they're starting to put some casting together. Here are some of your rumored cast members for Men in Black 3. Alec Baldwin. Charlotte Copley. Gemma Arterton. Baldwin is going to probably be one of the most likely members to be joining the cast. Supposedly, it's because it's supposed to involve a 1969 version of Men in Black. Baldwin, of course, would play the 1969 MIB boss. Arterton would play a secretary in the 1969 version. And Copley would play a fast-talking Yoda-type alien. But you know what? It wouldn't be complete with this person, Betty White. According to Bloody Disgusting, Betty White will be playing the mother of one of the main characters. Is she going to play Tommy Lee Jones' mother? What is this fascination with Betty White? I love her to death. She's funny as shit. But what is this fascination that you have to put her in everything? Is it like a Hollywood IOU for making her fucking do all this golden girl shit for all these years that you're finally allowing her to use her real comedic genius? All of a sudden, Betty White is in everything. Why don't you put Betty White in Spartacus? How about that? I want to see Betty White in a girl-on-girl scene with Lucy Lawless. How about that? Why don't you just do that? Because you've got to put Betty White everywhere. I love Betty White. She's awesome. But really, everywhere I go, it's like, oh, Betty White SNL. Betty White comedy. Betty White birth control ad. Betty White Metamucil ad. Betty White and the guy Kogeko. It's like, it's like, really? I understand. She's great, but... Fuck me, man. Stop throwing the old bag in front of my face all the time. Holy shit. Anyway, 
The cast thus far for Men in Black 3 is Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, Josh Brolin, Jermaine Clement, and Emma Thompson. Shooting will begin on November 18th for a May 25th, 2012 release. The IMAX Corporation has announced that they will find new and innovative ways to rake your pocket by releasing Paranormal Activity 2 in a limited IMAX release. Why? I don't fucking know. But starting October 22nd, the film will be available in 161 digital IMAX theaters in international and domestic territories. Translation, let's pump some more money into this movie to make it number one this week. Last bit of movie news. We're coming to that fast and, and, and furious finish. Here's something crazy. Hollywood is working on three Snow White movies. Three. That's how you know the originality in Hollywood has taken a complete and utter watery shit when there are three different versions of Snow White movies being worked on. The first one is the Brothers Grimm Snow White from Relativity Media. As of right now, Tarsum Singh from The Cell will be directing the picture, and they are working on getting that to screens. In addition to that, um, they also picked up a 3D Snow White film, which is being worked on by Universal. In addition to that, there's another Snow White film that's being worked on, rumored leaders for the role of Snow White, Anne Hathaway, Scarlett Johansson, and Natalie Portman. And, last but not least, Disney is working on a revamped Snow White movie called Snow White and the Seven, which reimagines the dwarves as Shaolin fighting monks. So you got three versions of Snow White. You got a Brothers Grimm version, you got a 3D version, and you got a revamped Disney version where all the dwarves are going to be played by Jet Li. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it's definitely going to be Shaolin fighting monks. James Cameron is in talks to take a break from Avatar and will be doing a 3D movie about Cleopatra with Angelina Jolie in the role. The film is based on Stacey Schiff's book, Cleopatra, A Life. Deadline goes on record as saying that Sony Pictures Entertainment co-chair Amy Pascal decided to fast-track its PG-13 and 3D Cleopatra project after screenwriter Brian Heldegan wrote that it's being described as a brilliant script deserving an epic treatment about how the Romans took over Egypt. The movie would start in 2011, which of course will delay... Cameron's work on Avatar 2. So we're going to put Avatar 2 on the back burner for Cleopatra. Yes? No? Maybe? <sighs> I don't know. I think I'm Avatar'd out. Literally and figuratively. Everywhere I go, little Navi motherfuckers. Comic-Con. Look, blue at Navi fucks. Everywhere I go, Navi costumes. Halloween costumes. Dresses a Navi. Look, it's Jake Sully. How about this? I got an idea. How about you get one guy to play a Navi, and then you get his handicapped friend to play the part of Jake Sully in the wheelchair. That way, you can play Jake Sully before and Jake Sully after he became an avatar. That's a fucking awesome costume. Why not? I think it'll work. You get, you get your buddy in the wheelchair, who usually plays Professor X every year, and then... He can be wheelchair Jake Sully, and you can be avatar Jake Sully. That's fucking first place costume win written all over it. And last but not least, Spartacus. One of my favorite shows on Showtime. Of course, the lead actor 
is uh, battling non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That would be Andy Whitfield. Mindsake Radio wishes him a speedy recovery. And, of course, there are no longer rumors, but there is actual fact that they plan on recasting the role of Spartacus. Okay, that's fine. Now, here's where it gets crazy. Rumor has it that Wentworth Miller from Prison Break and from Resident Evil is interested in taking over the lead role of Spartacus. Really? Wentworth Miller? That guy's way too fucking pretty to play Spartacus. Way too pretty. But it seems he may be the one to be taking the role. I don't know, man. Wentworth Miller's a, a hard sell. Spartacus is, is very visceral, very violent, very real. And you want to bring in a guy like Wentworth Miller? Play fucking Chris Redfield, and he was in Prison Break. What the fuck else has he done? Every picture you look at him in, he looks super emo. Like, hello, I woke up today, and I stared at a rose and shed a tear, because it was just so beautiful. He looks like one of those deep, deep motherfuckers that sits there and writes in his journal while he's taking a fucking White Castle shit. Dear diary, I had a slider today, and my stomach, my stomach all of a sudden wants to rupture and fall out of itself. I don't know. I'm not sold on it, man. I'm just not. Last but not least, of course, the Spike Awards, I believe, are going to be next Tuesday at 9. One of the big things you're going to want to check out, Michael J. Fox reprising his role as Marty McFly in a little bit of a throwback to Back to the Future because the Back to the Future series will be coming out on Blu-ray. I think it's really cool, and it's definitely a trip down memory lane. Uh, Michael J. Fox, of course, well known for that. There was a lot of Back to the Future news this week. They actually showed some video and some photos of Eric Stoltz um, in the Marty McFly role, which was really fucking weird. Um, I think it's really cool that Michael J. Fox is really willing to go back and, um, you know, go back to a role that's so iconic. I mean, you know, Marty McFly, Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties. Those are roles that fucking, that, that Michael J. Fox was known for. I mean, he was, he was great in that. He was great in The Frighteners. So it's really good that he's really um, going back to his roots and, and doing stuff with uh, the Spike TV Awards. So definitely something to check out for sure. I believe the Spike TV Awards are going to be next Tuesday, if I'm correct at 9 p.m., so check that out for sure. And, ladies and gentlemen, that's pretty much it. That's going to wrap up my take radio for this week. Got to run through some plugs, of course. Um, Starting next week, I'm going to make a couple of alterations to running down the list of plugs, only because it's very time-consuming. If you don't get a shout-out and you support the show, please make sure to check the links page on mytakeradio.com, just because sometimes I leave people off, I forget, and I feel bad. But definitely, this will be the last time doing the full-fledged plug list. Next week, there's going to be some people that are going to get shouted out more than others. You know, those of you that have commercials, if I don't shout you out, your commercial plays on the air. I apologize. If you want more recognition, by all means, let me know. We can work something out. With that said, RazorClothing.tv, that's WEC, former, former WEC lightweight champion and friend of the show, Razor Rob McCullough's site. You can go there to pick up any Razor Clothing uh, T-shirts, ladies' gear, head over to RazorClothing.tv. I to give a shout-out to Renando and the Superhero Stuff crew. Look for them and any of your other great superhero gear at SuperheroStuff.com. And also look for Superhero Stuff on Facebook. 
Got to give a shout-out to Kai, uh, formerly of Northeast Wasteland, now doing the Gamer Wave podcast. Head over to GamerWave.com. If you're on Facebook, stop by the Gamer Wave fan page. Show them some support. Shout-out to the Branded Baron brand for all their great shirts. Head over to BrandedBaron.com, B-R-A-N-D-E-D-B-A-R-O-N.com, BrandedBaron.com. Of course, shout-out to Austin Creed, a.k.a. Consequences Creed from TNA. Uh, check out his site, GoCreedGo.com. Deadliest Warrior crew is back in the lab filming Season 3 of The Deadliest Warrior. Already put my request in for some interview time. Stay tuned to My Take Radio in the coming weeks for that. In the meantime, shout-out to Max Geiger. Uh, his project, GiantSparrow.com, is the game he's working on. Head over there to see his development on that project. Dr. Armand Torian's Vitamin Water, which is DrinkDocsDox.com. Head over to their site for that. And also, if you like Doc's Vitamin Water, they are also on Facebook. Look for them on Facebook as well. Shout-out to the GirlGamer.com crew for always supporting My Take Radio every week, whether it's via Twitter, via Facebook, or in general, props to the Girl Gamer crew for looking out for us, and props to Trina and the Gaming Angels crew for also shouting out My Take Radio here and there as well. MMA Gospel did a guest appearance on their show last week. Great crew, especially now. Especially now, they got a new co-host, Amy, and Gary is taking full-time hosting duties um, since Turk is no longer the host. You can check out MMA Gospel every Wednesday at 8.30 on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Uh, you can also check out their site at MMAGospel.com. Shout-out to Josh at MMAValor.com for also supporting My Take Radio every week via Follow Friday and Twitter. Check out some of their offerings and their MMA coverage at MMAValor.com. Got a Twitter message from Hayden Dalton from Darksiders. They are hard at work for Darksiders 2. Of course, stay tuned to My Take Radio in the coming months for some Darksiders 2 coverage. Until then, head over to Darksiders.com. Of course, the VGN radio crew, Don Show, Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesdays, 10 o'clock, Blog Talk Radio Network, Cleveland Sports Radio, VGN Radio. Check out the show times for those shows on VGNRadio.com. Of course, Blaine at BornStubbornRadio.com with their kick-ass commercials and his, Blaine's kick-ass web design that are helping to make My Take Radio better for you guys. Check out their show, BornStubbornRadio.com. Also look for them on iTunes. Uh, 411 Mania, of course, has to get a shout-out. OCRemix.org for their music. MMA Junkie for their MMA news. FilmDrunk.com for their fucking wild-ass movie news every week. Uh, look for all those guys on Facebook as well. And lastly, got to give a shout-out to, um, to This Week in Wrestling. Uh, it's a podcast that's actually up and coming, and they will be providing wrestling content for My Take Radio within the coming weeks just to help kick up some of the wrestling coverage. Uh, check them out. There is a link for them in the links page. And also be on the lookout for their content if you're a wrestling fan. Got to throw out a shout-out to Mudkips for his kick-ass wrestling coverage for the SCW event. If you're an indie wrestling fan, definitely check out his article on MyTakeRadio.com as well. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up. My Take Radio episode 62 in the books for Thursday, October 15, 2010. You can email me if you have any questions or concerns or if you'd like to be a guest at mtrhost at gmail.com, which will probably be switched over in, a, in the next few weeks to mtrhost at mytakeradio.com, but you can use either address. If you're on Twitter, you can follow my personal account. It's Akuma25, or you can follow the show account at mytakeradio. If you're on MySpace, 
Look us up, myspace.com slash mytakeradio. Last but not least, Facebook fan page. We're almost at 410 fans. Keep spreading the word. Keep, help us, keep helping us to grow every, every week, and we're going to do our best to give you kick-ass coverage with no bullshit and definitely no filters. A special thanks got to go out to Slick and Bronx for all your great work at the Comic-Con this week. You guys are awesome. Keep providing great content for MyTakeRadio.com, and MyTakeRadio will keep providing great-ass fucking programming for you guys. With that, that's going to wrap it up for this week. By the way, YouTube channel, of course, youtube.com slash TV, And in the coming weeks, the MyTakeRadio Tumblr blog will go live, and you'll be able to see that in the blog page at MyTakeRadio.com. Just a little something I'm doing to uh, throw out little bits of information and random shit I see in, during the week to keep you guys happy until the next episode. With that, MyTakeRadio62 in the books. I'm Rich. Thanks for listening. Catch you guys next week. Epic NES is going to take us out with their Metal Gear theme. You can look for them on myspace.com slash epic NES band. Later. (laughs) 